This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Curry lost it momentarily, but Livingston gets it back. Out to Curry on the left. Got off a three, and he's hit three in a row. Steph Curry and the Warriors out in front, 40-36. to 36. What, a, what a find from Draymond Green. Draymond Green with four assists. Three-pointer up, no good for Jalen Brown. Rebound Livingston, full court pass down. Outside Curry, shoots a three, and hits again. And he's got a little dance for the fans. Here inside a TD Garden, a little shimmy shake on a timeout by the Celtics. He's feeling it now. I mean, to Morris in the mid-post. Double comes, puts it on the deck, holds. Outside smart, catch and shoot. Three is good! Late shot clock, game-tying three for Smart. One for five from behind the arc at the time was Marcus Smart. No worries. Tied at 111 with one minute to go. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome on in. Oh, NBA, they were all by themselves. Unless you're a big fan of the Senior Bowl and getting ready for the uh, Pro Bowl later on today. Welcome on in. We got three hours to talk about a lot of things. It's Fred Hubner along with Chris Black, Adam Abdallah here. And uh, I know I'm pretty sure you guys probably had your eyes focused on last night's Warriors-Celtics game. Yeah, it was a fantastic game to watch. And you saw the Golden State Warriors really starting to find their stride right this season. Now winning 10 in a row on the road. Hostile environment. Late game, as Steve Kerr talked about. A liquored up Boston crowd. Yeah. And, uh, you, <laughs> you really think? saw you know, you saw the Celtics give their best, but it still was not enough, which goes into a whole nother conversation with where Boston season is going. But Golden State last night won once again fantastic, Abdallah. I think uh, yesterday was the official start to Boston's pregame for the Super Bowl. I think that yesterday's crowd is getting ready. <laughs> There's already half of their stadium is already filled up. They're doing the send-off, the Super Bowl send-off this morning I saw on Twitter, and half of their stadium is full of fans there for the whatever, you know, Brady will talk right, and right. all that kind of stuff. But it's like a uh, was there. pep rally, right? Basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. They do it before the team, you know, gets on the plane and heads to Atlanta. Wow, look uh, at that crowd. Yeah, right? The entire field is filled with people in the first and the part whole of the, bowl the lower is bowl. Too. At Gillette Stadium is filled this it's morning. That's crazy. Too. I mean, it's not this cold. No. But it's cold. But, no, uh, yesterday's game was great. It's a good – it was a, finally, you know, the NBA is kind of coming back into the spotlight now that, uh, you know, college football is officially over and the NFL is basically over except for the Pro Bowl today, which you can watch on ESPN and ABC. Uh, yes, you can. They're actually doing in and LA. And Deportes, too, if you'd like. They're doing in L.A. the same thing. There's six people with avocado toast uh, <laughs> sending off the L.A. Rams. <laughs> Boom, take that. I'm Jokes, done. jokes. Uh, but no, yesterday was a great game, and it shows, like Chris said, that even, you know, the, the Warriors aren't at full force yet. They don't have all of the jewels, all of the Thanos jewels right. yet, because Boogie is still trying to find his uh, his NBA legs. He, he was in foul trouble early. Once they get going, like once the playoffs start and they actually get going towards the end of the season, that's when they kind of come to fruition. But even with them not playing their best basketball, I know they've won 10 in a row, but even with them not playing their best basketball and the Celtics playing their best basketball, it still wasn't enough. And now you might see uh, 
Boston try to fix a few things uh, with some trades or whatever. Yeah. Uh, to try to, because they're, the Warriors know that they're, the Celtics are probably their biggest threat. They've said it before. The Celtics are probably their biggest threat uh, to in the East, you know, in the finals. It was a great broadcast last night on ABC. Mike Breen doing the game along with uh, Van Gundy and uh, Mark Jackson. I thought that was great. And uh, just the just the rapport between those three guys makes the, uh, the game a lot of fun. And uh, breaking stuff down. And it was funny because Van Gundy didn't quite understand why fans were booing when there was a clear foul. He goes... What what would you like them to do? Just let the, let it go. Would it, it would be as bad? It would be as bad as the non call in the New Orleans Saints game. And all of a sudden, Mark Jackson goes, "Well, no, it it wouldn't be that bad." Uh, but it was every yeah. single time there was a foul called on the Celtics. And one of the reasons I want—I mean, we're going to talk about this. We're also going to talk Sox Fest, the final day. Ryan McGuffey from NBC Sports Chicago. He's a guy that basically gives in caps here and tells him what to say uh, on all of the uh, the shows, especially say when Cap take that, especially when. And uh, Cap is out there for a uh, Sox Fest. I saw Cap the other day, and I was walking through the halls. He said, "Did you get you to come see Sox?" Um, I said, "Yeah, I'm going to be there at six o'clock. I want to see the, the you know the back and forth with uh, Rick Hahn and sure. Ricky Renteria." He said, "My show's on at five thirty. He goes, "I, I said, oh, okay, I'll come in and sit and watch." So I get there at like five twenty, and the two guys at the door, the guards at the door, they say, um, "The show doesn't start till six. I said. Pretty sure it starts at five thirty. I go. The host told me then, so I'd be back in here. And all of a sudden, they came back at like five thirty-five. And the two, I, I looked at the two security guys. I go, see, told you. You have, you, have, <laughs> you have put the work a little bit quicker. So Cap was talking to Tim Anderson. He, yeah, he told me exactly. So he was talking to Tim Anderson and all that stuff. I saw Ryan McGuffey. So uh, Ryan McGuffey will join us around nine thirty. Chris Raybon will join us from the Action Network. Uh, it's the start of Super Bowl week, so we've got uh, some some prop bets, right? Prop season, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So we'll dive into the prop bets as we get you ready for the Super Bowl. And you know, yeah, I think with a full week and having two weeks until the Super Bowl, yeah. it still feels a bit early to break down the actual game. I agree. So, so we'll get some information on the game itself, but but mainly, let's look at the prop bets as we get going uh, with Chris, are Chris you guys, Rayburn. Are you guys with me next week? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we got plenty of time to break down the game next yeah, week. For sure. Hours before the Tom Waddle uh, you know, party, which, which from what I understand, there's going to be as many people there as there are sending off the Patriots. There will be, yeah. From what I understand. Yeah, they're already in line yes. outside Waddle's house. Outside of his house. Like, like it's a Jordan release. Yeah. They're set up. We got Michael Lee from The Athletic. We're going to talk more about the NBA and what's going on. Last night, it was interesting. The Pacers played the Grizzlies, and the Pacers are watching uh, the Grizzlies, who are looking to move a couple guys. And uh, now, after Oladipo gets hurt, one of them, Mike Conley, probably could help the Pacers if they would like. Yeah, certainly. Uh, it would definitely help. It, the question you have to ask yourself if uh, you're a Pacers fan is, do you want short-term uh moves right, right now to to help this season or do you say you know our core is young yeah you know sabonis and everyone else on the team who's playing well this season they're all young guys might as well just let them grow and you you may be out a year and a half a year yeah. of oladipo when he comes back you just kind of start from there sure. and don't don't wreck what you have giving up for short-term gains and yeah that's interesting and the grizzlies are a fascinating team to kind of pay attention to too because those two players could go to a lot of different spots uh-huh. to help teams as we head towards i think it's the february 7th trade yes, deadline in the yes nba so you have uh those two players you had a couple other uh marquee games in the league so we'll talk with michael lee at ten thirty about that and you know it, it is fascinating because as a bulls fan last night you have all this action in the nba and all these great storylines and there's a lot of people that say that this is the best the nba has ever been 
Yet, it seems like in all of these conversations, the Bulls are never involved. Well, and there was Bulls news yesterday. Now Chandler Hutchison, who played 41 minutes the other night, sustained an acute injury to a bone in his right foot. He's going to be in a walking boot for uh, two to four weeks. He'll be reexamined after the All-Star break. I really got a feeling that someone's sneaking in when these guys are sleeping <laughs> and just hitting them with something, just enough to be out for a few, a, a little while because... They've got more injuries. We talk about injuries with the Bears for the last three years. No team in the NBA has had the injuries the Bulls have had this year. It's ridiculous. No, and I think I saw a stat that they've missed 49, like their players have missed 49 combined games or something yeah. like that to injury. But it, it, it all goes, the, the, to sum up what the Bulls are this season, look at what ha- happened with the uh, Wendell Carter uh, Jr. injury. How that was, oh, he's going to be out two months. And then it's like, ah, maybe day to day. Maybe Sunday nope. he'll play. Yeah. <laughs> maybe he'll play. He's practicing. And then it's like, nope, that his thumb basically is turned around. Right. And we need to operate on it. So uh, he's going to be out probably the rest of the season. I think so, the like, doctor just basically that, sh- shook his hand and turned his thumb around. I was surprised the doctor operated on the right hand. Yeah. As yeah, bad as, as the Bulls' medical staff has been this well, year. Well, here's what it is. Games missed this year out of a possible 49. Uh, Markin has missed 23. Levine, 6. And he may miss today's game against Cleveland. Chris Dunn's missed 29. Carter's missed 5, and he'll miss 37. Portis has missed 31. Hutchison, 5, and he'll miss at least probably 14. And Denzel Valentine will miss them all because he's not around. But what, And we're also going to talk to a good, a good friend of ours. and uh, Well, at least he, he was a good friend. I think he still is. Uh, Nick Friedel. Uh, he was in oh, Boston nice. last night. He saw the Golden State game. We will talk with Nick around 11.05. A lot of other things to do. 312-332-3776. But I'm pretty sure the first day that I typed on the computer upstairs when I was making out the schedule and I said, the two millennials and the old man, I'm pretty sure it was like a year ago today. And the reason mm-hmm. I say this was I remember having to sit there and take on a Saturday night watch the Celtics and the Warriors about a year ago. So I looked at the schedule. Okay, last night was January 26th, and it was mm-hmm. the Warriors and the Celtics in Boston. A year ago, yesterday, well, actually, January 27th last year, mm-hmm. which was a Saturday night, the Celtics at the Warriors, and they played each other. The Warriors, right now, after the win, are 35 and 14. They were 40 and 10 last year at this time. The Celtics are 30 and 19. Uh, they were 35 and 15 last year. So it was like exactly a year ago that we sat and watched that game. And then the following Sunday, a year ago today, sat and watched it and it broke it down and everything else. It, it was pretty amazing. And I said, I've done this before. <laughs> kind of like the deja vu thing. My wife goes, what are you doing? I said, I got to go watch the Warriors and the Celtics. I remember telling her the same thing a year ago. Yeah, and I mean, last night you saw 33 points from Kevin Durant, which came with ease. Oh, my you God. Know, and, and Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy pointed out multiple times on the broadcast, like, since the Warriors have so many weapons, he can just kind of be and, like, go through a game and just kind of score his points with ease, and you don't really notice it. And then you saw a dagger three-pointer from Clay Thompson late in the game. Yep. Cousins, as Abdallah mentioned earlier, had the foul trouble, but played the majority of the fourth quarter, played well, which now gives the Warriors a totally different added element, which before, the big talk uh, in the Bay Area has been the fact that they don't have a center 
who can actually help them. Now they do. Yeah. And and his sea legs are starting to get under him, and, and he's starting to kind of figure out what he's doing uh, as a uh, player in this system. And mm-hmm. I like how Steve Kerr kind of trusts him. And the fact that he's not the craziest person on the court, I think, also helps because when it comes to dealing with the officials, you have Draymond Green going right. nuts each and every play that it allows DeMarcus Cousins to kind of not look like the bad guy yeah. on the court all the time, <laughs> which I think is is impactful because probably a big thing, yeah. in the past, having five fouls entering the fourth quarter and playing the minutes he did, he usually would foul out or have some kind of an issue. Instead, he was a very productive player. You saw the the pick and pops, his ability to set screens for Curry and Thompson. It, Run the floor and, yeah, and I mean, a nice pass to the guy breaking into the hole. Yeah, well, I think that's the thing that a lot of people don't quite... They, they know Cousins as a really good player. I don't think as many people see him as a player who could be a top five player in the league based on his skill set. And I, I know that, that a lot of people will say, "What? Well, come on, that's a crazy thought. But like when DeMarcus Cousins plays his best basketball... You can't stop him, whether it's setting screens for others, his defense, rebounding, passing, or his ability to make an open shot, which yeah. which a lot of centers in the league can't do. What you saw towards the end of the game, too, and what's good about him being on the Warriors is when he was on other teams and he was on the Pelicans, and before that, um, the other teams would go to the uh, to hacking him. They would go to hack a Cousins. And when they tried to do that yesterday, the Warriors moved the ball so well that it wasn't working. They did it like two or three times late, really late in the game when it was really close before uh, the Warriors kind of, uh, you know, went. It was maybe like 15 seconds left in the game, which took the, you know, the last 10 minutes actually. But yeah. the last 15 seconds of the game, they tried to do it, but it just it wasn't working because the rest of the Warriors, they moved the ball so well. And, and uh, like you said, Kevin Durant was playing so well. Clay hit a, hit a three late in the game. That kind of put it uh, out of reach for the Celtics, but they're gonna the Celtics. You've seen that right now. This is the with the trade deadline coming up. That this is kind of the the when GMs start to get a little itchy when they start to say, "Well, we're close, but well, maybe we, we we might need to sacrifice some growth for yeah. for a quick move here to try to compete because maybe we can keep up with these guys." And that's the main takeaway I take from this game. Is yeah, sure, Golden State played fantastic last night. But to me, it's Boston. And what are they going to do at the trade deadline? Because you have all these pieces and all these potential stars. But how many of the potential stars want to be role players on a really good team? I don't know if they do. I mean, you look at the box score from the Celtics last night. Gordon Hayward played 22 minutes, over five from the field, had two points. Yeah, I know. Seven rebounds. He was a minus eight and plus minus. He was an minus. afterthought. Watching he the was game, an he was afterthought. A complete afterthought. You know, many times in the fourth quarter, they talked about Terry Rozier and the fact that he could start on any team. Yep. You know what team he could start on? Who I would take immediately as my point guard for the future? The Chicago Bulls. I don't need Chris Dunn if no. I have a Terry Rozier. And maybe that's something the Bulls should maybe try and think about as we head towards the the trade deadline but you know Tatum 20 points we saw in the the Eastern Finals last year everyone anointing him as the next star of the Eastern Conference sometimes that leap from really good young player to star takes time and sometimes it never happens and I I don't know if they know what they have in all the pieces they have a lot of great pieces, but how many of those potential players want to be role players on a really good team? What does Mark, I mean, you guys are NBA fans. You you watch all the NBA. Every time I saw Marcus Morris set up for a three-pointer, I said, okay, that might be his shot, but I would not ever want him on my team shooting it because yesterday he was two for six from three. He was three for 12 from the game. 
He did have nine rebounds, which surprised me. Those must have. Well, it says here four offensive. I don't know how that happened because he always seems to be standing out around the three point line, waiting for someone to throw him the ball. He he seemed like the the only between him and Marcus Smart taking some un you know. Yeah, I mean Marcus Smart, ill advised shots. If you're the Warriors, you want Smart shooting the three. Morris is actually pretty good. Forty two percent on the season from Felix three. Just telling me the same thing. So, I just yeah. last night was not his night. Yeah, no, but I mean. Like, it's the whole setup. I mean, Kyrie was fantastic last night. 32 points, 10 assists, 6 rebounds, dribbling like it's an and-one show out there. He got but, tired in the fourth quarter, and then, yeah. he, then he didn't come back on defense, and his guy scores, which is not a good thing, well, and they pointed it out, too. What you want is the threat of Horford and the threat of Morris being able to shoot from outside. It, they showed it a few times yesterday. It kept... It kept um, Cousins out of the paint a lot and out of being able to defend that area. Yeah. So the, the, even if he, just the threat of him trying to take those threes, and even if a couple of them hit, it keeps it keeps Cousins out of that area and and takes away from his defense. So I don't have a problem with him taking those threes because he's not that. Yesterday was bad, like you said. Yeah. But if if they have guys. See, that's what the league needs now to threaten the Warriors. You need those guys like DeMarcus Cousins that can shoot threes. You need the guys like Horford who can isn't going to shoot all the time but can be the decoy that takes um, Cousins out of that area because he's such a big threat on defense, which is what they were missing for so long because Draymond can't do everything. Right. Uh, so now that they have Morris in there, he's he or not they have Cousins in there, you're going to have to have other guys and other teams are going to have to respond with guys that are a threat to shoot, even if they're not the best three-point shooter, they're at least a threat that draws him outside a little bit. I know I've heard both of you guys talk about this when during the course of the week when uh, people start talking about the Bulls. And you know the one thing I didn't see either of the teams do last night? I didn't see a guy bring the ball down and have people stand around. There was no. like no standing. It's almost as if there was like electricity on the floor and they had to keep running mm-hmm. so that they didn't get shot because yeah. they were none of them. I mean, Cousins never stopped. They were always moving. Durant's always moving. There's always a place to go with the ball where the Bulls will get to the top of the key and all the guys are standing around. It's like, okay, but there's nowhere to go. Well, Fred, if you don't move, you can't get hurt. <laughs> well... Well, so how does that work with the Bulls? Everyone's hurt. They're well, all hurt. I think they're afraid to get hurt now. They're afraid. They're playing scared. L- no, listen, it's, it's, it's awful, archaic style of basketball. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, horrible. 2019, right? and you saw two teams, uh, especially with Steve Kerr and Brad Stevens, running offenses the way it should be in today's day yeah. and age. And even if, because um, I know you could also dig into the numbers and find out that this season the Warriors are playing more ISO, they're passing less, they're moving less, they still look like they're better offensively sure. than everyone else. And I, it, it's, it's different, right? Uh, in 2014, 2015, Golden State was doing something that was brand new to basketball throughout the history of the league. And they were doing it at such a uh, great level of efficiency that it turned them into the best team we've ever seen. Right. The best five-man unit, the best group that we've ever seen, and the most games that they win, and then they start this championship run. What we've seen since then is you can't keep that up forever right they got to a point of being so good winning championships and doing this then adding durant and all of this kind of has turned into something else they're not quite that anymore they're still the best team in the league but they can just do it in different ways now you know if you need an iso possession from kevin durant they do it if you need an iso possession uh with demarcus cousins which we saw a couple times as he went baseline and and the Celtics had no answer for him as he got down towards the block. Right. I mean, 
They can basically beat you any way you want to play now. It doesn't have to be that fun, up-and-run pace that we saw when Golden State first became the great team that we have seen. So, like, what's interesting to me is they've slowed down the pace this season. They're still one of the best in the league. They're doing more ISO, still the best in the league. Clay Thompson is doing more ISO on his own. In the last couple weeks, we've noticed that when he is not in ISO ball, all of a sudden the Warriors' offense is clicking. Left and right. We saw a couple weeks ago he had that performance where he only dribbled the ball, what, three times right. in the entire game? And and that that is prime Golden State Warrior basketball. So, you know, you look at the Bulls and you compare them to the best in the league, it's not good. You compare them to a team that's struggling in the Eastern Conference, fifth, sixth, throughout the season, the Boston Celtics, and they look different too. And there's something about what's going on with the Chicago Bulls that I wonder if it's, this is all done by design so we lose and tank and we get that number one pick? Or do they truly believe in the philosophies that they're preaching right, right. now? Because it, it, it's not that they're worried to get hurt, Abdallah. It's that these young players are not developing. Mm-hmm. And if you're a Bulls fan, you want losses this season. You want young players to be developed. Yeah, they're not the, being developed. The two guys I wanted to see was Wendell Carter and also Chandler Hutchison, I think, can move without the ball. He's done a pretty good job moving without the ball at times. And uh, he was actually fun to watch Not to me. And now he's not around. Let me ask you a question really quick because I'm because I do have the box score from last year's game also. Mm-hmm. Was this just a, last year, their combined threes in the game they played, the Celtics at the Golden State, the combined threes, they shot 55 threes. Uh, Boston was uh, 14 for 28. Warriors were 10 for 27. Last night, they shot a combined 73 threes. Yeah. Are there more three shooting? Is there more three shooting this year? Is it continuing to grow up? Uh, will there be games this year where someone comes, where the two teams combined come close to shooting 100 threes? Well, they're actually they're probably tenth. any any game with Houston, yeah, probably. Well, right now they're tenth in uh, three point attempts. They're also tenth in pace. They're second in assist ratio. So the Warriors are, yeah, the okay. Warriors are. So yeah, so to Chris's point, they're slowing down. They're they're taking a lot of threes. You compare it to the Rockets. The Rockets are attempting forty four and a half. Per game. Per yeah. game. Okay. And the Warriors are attempting 33. Yeah, Golden State's only 10th in the league. Yeah. In 30-point attempts. Okay. Uh, Boston's actually third with 35. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah they probably. they had 40 last night. You know, uh, Steph Curry was on Adrian Wojnarowski's podcast, and he was talking about how he can shoot threes from anywhere, and he can shoot threes all day long, and everyone else is trying to do what he does. But it took a lot of hard work to yeah. get there. And the thing he was pointing out was it's not just I'm this fancy uh, flashy guy that shoots from anywhere. It's I've practiced this my entire life, sure, and that's why I'm better than all of you. And that's why and, he and, was at five in a row last night in the yeah, second quarter, and, and it was fantastic. And he can do the shimmy while the ball's in the air because he knows yeah. the yeah. moment it leaves his hand, it's going in. And it's like you see him do that, and you see those five three pointers, and the the Warriors completely turn the game yep. in that that little span of time, right? And you think to yourself. Harden's probably the best offensive player in the league right now. LeBron's probably the best player in the league right now. Durant's close. All these guys, you can kind of point out all this stuff. But in reality, it may be Steph Curry being the best of all of them. And I don't think he gets the shine Mm -hmm. that the others do because it's not in vogue anymore to think that Steph Curry's the best player in the league. But he is the one that has the ability. When he doesn't miss, you can't stop him. There's nothing you can do to stop him. Because he he shoots from just over the timeline. Yeah, I mean, yeah. well, it's well, that. Yeah. But how many years now have we been sick? watching 
How many years have I been watching Warrior games where, you know, they're up, they're down, you know, 20, 21, and you're like, okay, and? Yeah. Check back in four minutes because, you know, Curry goes on a run or, excuse me, Curry goes on a run. I know, right. Thank you. (laughs) Curry goes on a run, or any of those guys can go on a run, but it's it's it starts and ends with Curry. If you look sure. at their winning percentage, he is the engine that keeps them going. He's the one. Like, yeah, it, it, Durant's a great player, like you said, Chris, but ultimately for the era, the way that the game is changing, it's all Curry. It's all him. Well, it is, and, and everyone wants to find the next Steph Curry. You're right. not going to do that. No. You know, there's every, nobody out you know. there. That, there's nobody in college that's, I mean, Zion Williamson and Barrett and these guys, uh, John Morant, they're not, they're not shooting threes. No, and like Steph Curry, Curry wasn't a dude right, in college just either. Say, Curry yeah. didn't do it either. Right? He and wasn't a guy in listen, college. Michael Jordan didn't have a jump shot in, in North Carolina either. His jump shot got better when he got to the pros because he worked out. Curry it. was good at Davidson or whatever. Like He was alright. Like yeah, You're like, he, okay, that skinny kid is good. On. He was a phenom. He no, took I Davidson had, into a deep it. tournament run. Okay, but anybody can... You've seen it in the tournament. You get a, a guy who's hot from three and teams have ridden that to deep playoffs. There, there's a reason why the legend of Steph started at Davidson. But you didn't. You couldn't tell Here, me that you look thing. at that kid at Davidson and be like, "That's going to be the best player in the NBA." No, someday. of course not, because we just thought he was a kid on a small school that was yes. at that moment. At, but now looking back at the, t- at the time, but I'm telling you, looking back, he told us all along why he was so special. Here, here's the other thing, right? If you're a Bulls fan, you're hoping that you get the number one pick and you can draft Zion Williamson. Fred, you just said right there, can you develop a shot? Because it's great to out athlete everyone on the court in college basketball. But if you can't shoot, you saw the game last night, Warriors-Celtics. The reason DeMarcus Cousins was effective was because he can hit an open shot. Right. If Zion Williamson is left open, is he going to be able to bury the three-point shot like guys can right now in the league? Marcus Smart could not last night. Mm-hmm. That's probably right. the downfall to the Celtics we, when you got to the end of the game, right? Yeah. We can play it a little bit later, but Jay Bills was on with Cap, and you mm-hmm. can hear him kind of talk himself out of Zion Williamson being the number one pick cool. as he's saying it. He's like, well, I mean, but but his shot, yeah. you know what? I don't know. So it's good. We can, we can play that a little bit later. We definitely will. We'll talk more basketball. We come back. Ryan McGuffey from NBC Sports Chicago. Final day of Sox Fest. As every all the Sox fans, and I do mean all of them, was sold out. It was a good time on Friday night. We will talk with Ryan McGuffey about the White Sox. Still no Manny Machado, still no Bryce Harper, but we'll hmm. continue talking some Southside baseball. You want to jump in, 312-332-3776. Black Abdallah Hubner here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Hope you're staying warm. Today is nothing. Wait till Wednesday. Ugh. That'll be a little little chilly outside. Come on, Fred. We're from Chicago. We like the cold weather. We like the snow. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Well, but, but see, the thing is, if you live here, you can, can only, in my opinion, you it's can only true. complain about it so nope. much. Nope, not true. Yeah. No, I can be mad it's that cold out. No, Fred. Well, you can always move. I've I, lived here my entire mm, life. It's not that easy. The winter and cold weather, it sucks. I can't do very a lot of things. I can't do many things. Let alone do many things well. <laughs> okay. Well, that's I don't know where you're going here. Moving but... and finding other work. Not much of an <laughs> okay. option. <laughs> okay. I see I see what you're saying. You're saying sure your, where you're your, going, link, yeah. your LinkedIn page is not uh, very impressive to uh, suiters. No, it's got outside Dairy, suiters it's got if ESPN you were afraid. and Dairy Queen. There you go. Yeah, so, it's not going to work for many. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Fred, I mean, come on. It, don't tell me not to complain or that I should move. 
How about how about we get better weather? How about that? No, you're in Chicago. You're not going to get better weather. It's going we to be this way. We're literally going to set a record for the coldest ever. Like that's not cool. No, that's it, not things that should be happening. That's what happens. No, in, it's not. I understand. Like what this, happens in January and no, February. No, like today is fine. Today you can't complain Listen, about today. I can complain about Wednesday. Thirty. 33 years ago, yesterday, the Bears won the Super Bowl. Yeah. Which means that 33 years ago today, remember how cold... Well, you guys no, probably I don't. No, Did you ever see the Come video on. of how cold it was when they brought the buses back and there yeah. were guys... To, yeah. You know, it was cold that day. I bet you... It was sub-zero. I, I Felix, bet you find the, out, Felix, find oh. out how cold it was 33 years ago today. I bet you the windshield was not Felix. minus 55. Felix, look it up. I bet you the windshield was not minus 55. Look it was up, probably Felix. close. I doubt no way. I bet no, it was cold. it's colder I know. than it was today. They I know have. it was cold. Okay. Yeah, it was doesn't cold. know what he's talking about. It was cold that day. I, I get agree. that, but it wasn't minus fifty-five, dude. You know how cold that is. Listen, that's a that's, chill. That's, Honestly, anything below ten, it's the same thing matter. to me. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and here's the thing: false. And I and we love Tracy Butler, but until it's I saw her fault, until I see it being minus fifty-five. It's all just... She's going to come after you, Fred. You know she listens to it, this show. I know it's, she does it's all the, the time. Feels like. It's the feels like. I you got to go feels by the like. feels like. Yeah. It feels yeah. like. Anything under 10 feels the same. I'm more upset about all the... We're going to get eight more inches of snow. That's what I'm upset about. Well, it's not. Well, it all depends where you live, too. You live further south, probably three to four, three to five, stuff like that. Not too bad. It's more snow, Fred. Yeah. Well, more you know, snow. Do you shovel? Huh? Do you shovel? I got to walk. <laughs> okay. It doesn't shovel. I I rent. I live in an apartment. I got a way, landlord. I like to do this all the time. My neighbors are in the cul-de-sac. They both have big snowblowers. So Chris was out yesterday, snowblowing a couple inches that fell. And uh, my buddy Mike, he does it usually. So I, I thank them all the time, and we give them nice I have Christmas a broom, gifts. and I do my back steps so my dog doesn't slip and fall. Okay. You, you, does your dog have little footies? No, because uh, my dog only has three legs. So, so you, could, you could save one and you replace it. Whatever. No, but my dog doesn't go on like walks because it can't walk very far. So we just basically give it enough time to let it go outside and then go back upstairs. Oh, okay, you're so kind. Yes, uh, yes, you are. What we play with her on the inside. We'll talk. We'll talk more about your dog uh, in just a little bit. Now we're talking about a rising team on the south side. Ryan McGuffey has been watching and uh, basically, as we said earlier, telling Cap what to say all night on Friday. Cause Cap, say no shot. <laughs> Cap wasn't sure where he was. He kept looking. He kept looking around. He didn't see Joe Madden anywhere. Uh, Ryan McGuffey, NBC Sports Chicago. Nice enough to join us. Ryan, how are you today? I'm good, guys. And you're right. Cap, he was wearing blue. And he was getting called <laughs> out by fans. And he tried to give and take. And I just told him, hey. You know, get in your car and go home. <laughs> That's what he did, too. It was so funny because at 6 o'clock when his, his show ended, he, like, packed his stuff up, waved to the crowd, and walked out the door. I was sitting, like, four feet from the door. He didn't even look at me. He just he didn't want to look back at the crowd. He Good just night, took everybody. Off. He knows he's in enemy territory. <laughs> he was. He was definitely yeah. in enemy territory. But you know what? He did, have, he did have some very interesting guys to talk to on Friday night. Tim Anderson, Yolmer Sanchez, and it seems like the entire atmosphere this weekend, Ryan, is... And I know usually you lose 100 games, you would think that camaraderie is a little tough, but it seems like if these guys ever win some games, they're going to be so much fun because they all seem to be guys that you know grew up in this organization, at least a lot of them have, and they've known each other, they've gotten to this point in the big leagues. They're all striving to get a, win, a winning team here on the south side. Yeah, I agree with you. I was just thinking about that as I was making my way to uh, the Hilton. And, you know, this time of year always provides, you know, hope. For fans, um, these conventions are always kind of a hope type uh, 
you know, it's like the, the hope before spring training. And sometimes it's a little bit of false hope, but I, I'm, I'm buying it. I'm buying this hope from these guys because, like you said, I mean, they've been here together now for three, four years, some of them, and some of them two years where, you know, Michael Kopech, I know he's out for the year. I'm just using him as an example. But, like, guys like Kopech and Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez that have acquired to be a part of this have been here now for two and a half years. And so it's not foreign to them. And, and Aloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease, they've been the Sox Fest. They've, this is not their first rodeo, even though they haven't even been in the big leagues yet. The camaraderie, you know, it's unique. It's unlike anything I've seen. I've talked to people around baseball outside of the White Sox. Just they ask them, is this like this everywhere? And they've said no. It's a unique thing. It's a unique group. When they get to the big leagues together, all that camaraderie and the building of a culture has already happened. So that you know, let's hope if these guys can hit, it should uh, it should be a really fun thing. And very soon on the south side, Rick Hahn had his uh, Soxfest town hall meeting yesterday. What was the biggest takeaway you uh, heard from Rick Hahn speaking to everyone? I think the biggest takeaway with Rick is that he's. The White Sox this week have kind of put themselves out there giving us details about the Manny Machado meetings and just, you know, Rick saying he would be personally disappointed that he would feel it not just through an organization, but that he actually would take a little bit of a, you know, take a, have to take a step back too and say, you know, I, I'm personally upset or disappointed. That stood out to me because I thought he was almost, I don't want to say standoffish, but the fact that he was like, you know, we deserve a seat at the table. And it's not the first time he said that, but. He, the way he and Fred, you were there on Friday. Yeah. He kind of backed it up again by saying, "You know, we belong there. We belong there today. We belong there tomorrow. We're going to belong there in the future." And this is not just some, you know, "Hey, we're just getting our name out there in baseball." At the White Sox threw an offer to Manny Machado. This is real, legitimate interest, and they're going after guys who want to be a part of this, and they're going after them with legit offers and legit money. So that, to me, was the biggest takeaway: is that you know there will be a little bit of personal disappointment from Rick, and it's not just coach speak here. It's the guy who actually has been invested now for an entire offseason on a guy, and if he doesn't get him, he's going to be disappointed. Forget, you know, take the team part out of it. If Manny Machado's not here, you have a general manager and vice president saying, you know, I'll be a, not offended, but I'll be disappointed too. So let's say they don't get Manny Machado. Where will that money be allocated? Will they try to just see what they have with the guys that they that they have uh, already, or will they try to go out and maybe sign some of the other guys that are not, are not the Machados and the Harpers? I think like yesterday's White Sox go out and sign the you know the non Machados and Harpers, but they have targeted you know a few people, and that's Bryce Harper and Manny Machado and maybe Nolan Arenado next year as guys who. They can, you know, latch on to that can be here for five, six, seven years and be a part of it. They're not going to go out there and fill just because they had $200 million thrown at Manny Machado, break it up and spend it, you know, on Marwin, like five Marwin Gonzalez's. That would be the wrong approach. I think you'll probably see them stay, stand pat a little bit more if they don't land a big fish. They probably will add a, I wouldn't be surprised if they added like a low tier starting pitcher if they don't get Manny Machado. I also wouldn't be surprised if they do land Manny Machado if they go after maybe a bigger uh, free agent pitcher or, or make a trade for a pitcher because I think if they get Manny Machado, they, if they could get one more horse in that rotation, some guy that's going to eat up. I mean, we talk about James Shields and people laughing sometimes get upset about him, but you know, he pitched 204 innings last year, so someone has to fill that void. You know, uh, Tim Anderson's a guy where I've given him a rough ride the last couple of years because – 
you know, it, it's it's a guy they drafted. They signed him to a longer term deal. Uh, but the second half of last year, defensively, he became a much better player. Uh, I, I want to see him get on base more. He can steal bases when he gets on. But he seems like a kid. And, and Ryan, you've been covering these Sox fest for years too. Um, he seems like a guy. The last three, four years. I mean, four years ago, I talked to him. Nobody else talked to him. He he, he wasn't didn't really have a spot on the team. The year afterwards, still kind of a quiet guy. He's not quiet anymore. He's got some confidence. He knows he's got money now. He's just seemed to work, seeming to go on out there. And for some people, the money changes them, and they don't play as hard. It seems like he's got the money. He's set, and now he's just trying to go out there and improve every way he can. Yeah, he's got some swag. I mean, he's got some swagger too. And uh, the thing about this team is that it, you know, who is the leader of the team? Who's going to be the guy going forward that's going to be able to speak up when times aren't going well, or even when times are going well? That the voice. And you can't just keep bringing in a whole bunch of veterans and expect them to come into a foreign clubhouse and just be that guy all the time. And I think Tim Anderson is kind of growing up in the game. He was kind of here pre-rebuild, and he's here during rebuild, and I think it's allowed him to get take a step back, get comfortable, work on his craft, and also kind of lead by example and figure out who he's going to be. So I, I totally agree with that. I like he seems to carry a little bit of chip on his shoulder too, because it, you know the Manny Machado. I thought he was great on Friday night when yeah. he addressed the Machado. It's like let's get Manny here, then all the position stuff. We'll figure that out. Let's go get the talent. And then we'll figure out who's playing where. And Yomer Sanchez added, hey, guess what? I can play everywhere. I'll take Manny Machado. I just want to be a part of this thing. So guys, they get it. They know that other names are being talked about with you know superstar talent. And I think that the fact that they're embracing it and saying, let's be a part of this. I'll figure it out when it happens. To me, like that's part of the growing up and the part of the culture that's happening. How much of an uh, impact and how much uh, is Jerry Reinsdorf involved in this offseason trying to land Machado or Harper or whoever the White Sox are trying to get? I'll tell you something. If you're, if you're, if you're passing out that kind of money and you're making, you know, like Rick and Kenny and everybody involved in the front office, they're not going to get the sign of approval just to go out and do this without Jerry. And, you know, Jerry's blessing is, is everything. And, you know, the thing, I, and I've said this on our podcast before, you know, yes, Jose Abreu's $68 million contract is the largest in franchise history, but it's not the largest offer in franchise history. They've been in on guys before for over, you know, triple-digit numbers, you know, $100 million plus on guys before. They haven't gotten them, but I'll tell you one thing right now. Jerry Reinsdorf wants these guys, and he wants to win just as badly as any Sox fan or any person in the organization. He may want it more. 82 years old. He wants to win again. He didn't just sign up for the rebuild just to see this thing, you know, churn out loss after loss after loss. He wants to be. He wants this thing to turn around and turn around quickly. But he also gave them the blessing to do it the right way, which goes back to a question I think Adam asked earlier. That's why they're not going to go out and sign a whole bunch of guys for forty, you know, forty and fifty million dollar deals. They're doing it the right way. They have a plan, and if it's not going to happen this year, something in the next year, year and a half, there will be somebody that's going to take the bait. I've always said John Lester, there's always, there has to be a guy that says, sign me up to be the face of this rebuild, the, the, the turnaround guy. And John Lester kind of woke up baseball by saying, wow, he picked the Cubs. Someone's going to wake up baseball, whether it's Manny Machado or Bryce Harper, Nolan Arenado or somebody. Someone's going to wake up the rest of the league and say, okay, the White Sox are legit. They're here. And a big part of that will be because Jerry Ryan's signed off on this.
Ryan, as we let you go, I know you and Chuck, you guys do a great job um, on the White Sox Talk podcast. What is coming up? You guys obviously have a lot of stuff after what you've, uh, you know, this whole weekend. So what's coming up next with the podcast? We are about to tape in about a half hour our 200th episode with Michael Kopech. Yeah, uh, via social media said uh, he wanted to be on, so we set it up. He's going to be on with us. We had Yonder Alonzo on Friday night. That's a must listen. And we talked about Manny Machado, but Yonder Alonzo gave details about they, they called Manny during introductions of Sox Mask. He was on FaceTime with Manny Machado and Jose Abreu and Yohan Mancata when they were getting introduced for Sox Fest. He just he dropped that on us. That was some good stuff. Uh, starting tomorrow on our uh, My Teams app and NBCSportsChicago.com, we are releasing a week's worth of digital content, a series, a digital series from the Dominican Republic. I just spent a week with those guys, some of the prospects in the organization, about a week and a half ago, and there's some really good, unbelievable stuff from that. That, that launches tomorrow. So as you mentioned, a boatload of stuff. Uh, the podcast will drop later today with Michael Kopech. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, this is going to take us all the way into spring training, and let's hope that Manny Machado is going to be a part of that as well. Boy, I bet you can't wait to get, get there, right? Spring training. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm mentally just back in the Dominican again because I heard you guys talk before we got on. It is okay to complain about Wednesday. Yeah, see, take that, okay. Brian. Take that, take okay, that, take okay. that, take that. All you young guys complaining about stuff. Uh, yeah. okay, oh, Ryan. we're the ones that complain about I'm things. I'm not complaining. This is coming from Fred Hume. Come on, Ryan. I'm not Come on, complaining. This Give it to one, Fred. This is the one thing I don't complain about yeah. is the cold. You know, that's why they make... There's certain, I don't complain that like, today's fine, but come on. 55 below wind chills. That's just stupid. I mean, forget about it. Like, why do we live here? I don't know. Yeah. I'm getting, maybe I'm getting like old, old man. I'm turning the corner and I'm getting old. But whatever. I, this is every year I start to question why. <laughs> Ryan, we appreciate it as always. Thanks a lot for jumping on in. Have fun today. All right, guys. Appreciate it. Always love it. I'll be on. Ryan McGuffey, NBC Sports Chicago. He brought up to something. And if you're a, if you're a fan of the... The Cubs, uh, right now, this year, the Cubs, uh, the Sox, the Bulls, uh, the Blackhawks, their, their NBC Sports My Teams app, they have digital content. They have sometimes you can catch the games live on there as long as you have a, a cable package. They have stats. They have uh, post-game stuff. They yeah. have a lot of great stuff on that. And it, it's it's an NBC Sports thing around the country. I yeah. mean, San Francisco's got one. They all have them. But here, if you're a Sox fan, it's a it's a great app. And uh, it's, it, you know, the free app. And go look at it. It's, it's great stuff. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, they also have Tom Haberstroh now working for them, who's really good. Used to be on ESPN. Yep. So a lot of good NBA content there, too. Let me ask you guys this. This question because I, I asked Guff this and uh, Jerry Reinsdorf at 82, very involved in this offseason, trying to land one of these free agent players. Let me ask you guys this question coming up Does it seem like this to you, if you're a fan of the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago White Sox, that it seems like ownership picks one or the other to focus on? They're spending all their efforts this offseason in the White Sox. Uh-huh. And it seems like the Bulls are kind of an afterthought, the way things are being handled. And I wonder if people feel the same, that this organization, the, the, the ownership group, doesn't always focus 100% all in on both. Let's talk about that. We come back. It is Black Abdallah Hubner. You want to jump in? 312-332-3776. Talking some White Sox, some Bulls. We've got um, uh, Chris Raybon from the Action Network, some Super Bowl prop bets coming up uh, a little bit after 10 o'clock here on ESPN 1000. 
This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Chris Black, Adam Abdallah, Fred Hubner with you. I had my own little adventure at uh, Sox Fest the other day. We'll talk about that the other day. They let you in this year, right? You may, yeah, yeah, you'll get a kick out of that. Uh, Randy gets the the press pass for me, Randy Merkin. Uh, and um, you know, It's got your picture, your name, and everything ready to go, right? Uh, it's got my picture. It's got Randy's name on it. So, but I, I was All able right. to get in, and the people for the White Sox are very understanding. I looked at the young lady. I said, would it be okay if I scratched out his name? She goes, he's not coming, is he? I go, no, he's... He's got other plans. Uh, he's watching golf. And I said, can we just put a, a, a line through his name and then put my name in there? And she said, fine, no problem. And uh, everything worked out fine. It Should was great. Should have just gone to Scott Merkin. Well, and I saw Scott there, and uh, Scott was laughing. I showed him the press pass. He goes, that's funny. <laughs> he goes, not surprising. So, I, I'm there you just, go. Yeah. So, but anyway, before the break, you were asking yeah. if you think, if Sox and Bulls fans think that maybe, you know, the or, uh, organization, as they both own uh, both teams, that maybe one year they focus on one more than the other. Um, I don't. <sighs> well, okay. So, Fred, we, we've all been told, and everyone says that Jerry wants desperately for another baseball title before. He goes, right? At 82, he desperately wants his team to win again, especially with what has happened on the north side I've in also the last heard five people, years. I've also heard people say that Jerry doesn't care about baseball. Yeah, uh, but you know I mean? people do I think say... there's one no, no, thing no, no. he cares no, no. about, it is baseball. It's the opposite. People, oh, people say that his true passion is the baseball team, and he just owns the basketball team. I yeah. thought his passion was the baseball, but they, yeah. they won once, and he wants to get back and win and win basketball again. But, but Jerry so, hasn't told us this, so we're all guessing. Well, yeah, of course. Uh, but I, I it feels, as a fan of both teams, as if, one, uh, they, they are trying to do everything they can to get back to that championship level. Right. And the other is just treading water, hoping that Gar Packs kind of figure it out and there's really no accountability based on the last 15 years of data that we've been given on their tenure running the Chicago Bulls. I, I wonder if a lot of people kind of look at the two teams and say, you know what, why is he involved on trying to land Machado yet – the Bulls have Boylan over here coaching this right. team right into the ground. Like, what's going on here? Why can't you focus on both? Do you think that in basketball, Steve Kerr came in when the Warriors were already good, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think that maybe in basketball they're looking for Boylan's there, and then when they think they're about to get good, that's when you bring in a coach to take them to the next level? Because I agree with you. I mean... I don't understand how Boylan can be here next year. I don't understand how they can say he's the coach, he signed a contract, he'll be our coach next year. I don't understand how you can say that. If I'm them, I don't answer that question. I just say, he's our coach right now. We'll worry about things as we go forward. Well, you you guys have both seen The Dark Knight, right? The Batman movie? Yes. Mm-hmm. And you know at the end when the Joker's upside down talking to Batman in the last scene, and the Joker says, all you need to do is give it a little push, right? Yeah. I kind of feel like John Paxson... Having Boylan here as a head coach this year is that little push to make sure the tank happens. Uh-huh. Because otherwise it doesn't make any sense. And and like, yeah, they may be uh long term looking at it as we can hire the right guy when they start to get good. Problem is there's no guarantee you'll ever get good. Right. The problem is when you go you need I think you need to have a coach set up 
for when you go into these free agent meetings because it may not matter ultimately like you said Steve Kerr came in and they have like they have an all-star team essentially they're better than the all-star team right, right. now but to me when you go in guys want to know who is going to be leading these practices? Who am I going to be talking to? They want to know who their coach is going to be because there's a huge difference between I know you know Steve Kerr is going to be my coach or I know that Jim Boylan is going to be my coach. I think that's going to matter to free agents. Well, we'll I mean, talk- you look at what's going on with the Lakers right now. Supposedly yeah. LeBron wants Walton out right now. Yeah, is just, there ever, a, just a little push, guys. Has there ever yeah. been more of a coach killer than LeBron? Uh, we'll talk more about basketball. We have Michael Lee coming up around 10.35. We've got some Super Bowl prop bets. Uh, Chris Raybon, Action Network, coming up next half. Hour right here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's game day only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. He was going the right way, Cohen all the way. Touchdown, Chicago. Levine, he goes right. Oh, stop it, Samson. Did you not get the memo? He didn't come for the massage. He came for the facial. Chicago's game day. Garcia's home. Hanson scores. Sucks rolling. What a comeback. Chabisky escapes again, and he's got plenty of room to run. Look at him go. There's the athleticism for the rookie. Back toward the wall. It's gone. This is Chicago's game day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Black Abdallah Hubner with you till 12 noon. A week from now, we'll be previewing the Super Bowl. And in about 10 minutes from now, we'll be talking about prop bets for the Super Bowl. Patriots and the Rams going at it. Uh, both teams uh, getting send-offs from their respective um, communities, cities. And um, you you guys knew the thing about, you know, in baseball, it was Boston, L.A., and now in in football, it's Boston. Are you talking about the World Series? Yeah. Of course, I watched the World up. Series. Yeah, I mean, no, but I mean, it came that came up to the same two cities and all that stuff. The same two cities going at it. And uh, one of these years, it would be nice if the same cities were like Chicago in the World Series and Chicago in the Super Bowl. And uh, that would be nice. Yeah, Boston always finds a way, yeah. don't they? Uh, yeah, but, I'd you know, love to be going to Atlanta this week yeah. instead of sitting here in the yeah. cold. It'd be well, great. Well, but remember, the last Super, I think it was the last Super Bowl in Atlanta. There was a huge ice storm. Nobody could get around. The whole town like shut down because they don't know how to deal with ice. That this happened a few years ago when it was in Dallas. Right? Too. Same thing. Yeah. I know. It, it's kind of like uh, you know, God says, "Okay, everybody else is going to have fun, but the people that going to the, going to the game, I'm just going to make sure you guys are yeah, the south, mess with you guys. The South does not handle snow and cold. No, well. they don't. They don't know what you know. They salt is usually for their food or something else, and not for the for the <laughs> yes. roads. Uh, let's say grab a call real quick. We were talking some White Sox earlier. Let's go to Belmont Heights and Tom. Tom, you're on ESPN 1000. What's going on? Not so much, Freddie. I always appreciate you guys on the air, and I just wanted to chime in and just wonder what you thought about this. Uh, seeing that the the convention is in its last day. Do you think the White Sox really would have uh, reached out for Yonder Alonso and uh, John Jay, uh, considering uh, what they already have? You know, because they spent nine million on on, uh, on Alonso, and I think 
four million on one year contract with John Jay. Would they have reached out for those guys if if the Machado thing wasn't you know that they weren't you know the brother in law and the friend? Yeah, you know I, I can't see it. Yeah, Tom, I appreciate the call. It's a good question. They all say that these guys are established players, and you know, the Yonder Alonso actually makes sense. He's a left-handed hitter. They could use. Uh, they got a lot of lefties, but no, no power hitters like that. Other than Daniel Palka, and I'm not sure where he's going to play right now. Uh, Yonder Alonso, I think he had 23 homers last year, uh, 85 RBIs. He's a guy that can play first base. He can be the DH. So they actually could use him. The John Jay thing, you probably could have found a better outfielder. Um, you know, I would have thought, you know, A.J. Pollock wouldn't have been a bad choice going on after him for, you know, a deal. And uh, they they didn't look that way. So maybe, you know, they say that it's not why, but well, it's if, hard to. If it was, wouldn't you think that Machado would have already signed? Like, if that was all done because maybe it was a request of Machado's, right. or maybe they knew this is how he would like to surround himself with his new team, Right? why has he not signed to this point? You know, on Friday, there was a uh, report from the San Diego Union-Tribune uh-huh. saying that the mystery team in all these discussions that has been put out there by Machado's camp has been the San Diego Padres. Yeah. Now, if you're a White Sox fan, are you worried yes. that the mystery team is a team that, that has a lot of cash, yeah. has nice weather, is a nice place to play? They I know Dallas would be there they, if they yeah, made him an offer. They haven't won yeah. as of late. They've been a really bad mm-hmm. baseball team. But are you worried about the Padres if they are the mystery team? I am. I mean, I mean, I think the White Sox would be too because if they have enough money and they, you know, they can offer more than the White Sox offer was, then do man, you know, does Manny Machado's people then come back and say, listen, they sweeten the deal a little bit more? Then the question you have to ask Manny Machado is, okay, can you win with the Padres? Do you really want? Do you want to win? Do you think? Does he really care? That well, that's another thing you have to worry about too. I mean, um, you know, he he went to the Dodgers last year. The Dodgers got to the World Series, didn't win it. And uh, now, you know, they picked up Eric Hosmer, spent a lot of money on Eric Hosmer. Yeah. I mean, is that, you know, are they ready to win with Eric Hosmer and then Manny Machado added? And Fernando Tatis is like the the second or third biggest prospect in, in baseball, and he's a shortstop for the Padres. Well... Manny wants to play short. So what are you going to do with Fernando Tatis? You just say, oh, you know, we're going to move you to second or move you to third or move right. you to the outfield. Tim Anderson is a different thing. Tim Anderson is a guy, he's not an, even on the same level as Fernando Tatis Jr., who the White Sox traded years ago to get James Shields. I think that it, it's, uh, I, I don't know if they're waiting for each other, like Machado and Harper, if they're waiting for one to uh, to announce. Maybe they have like an agreement where they're both going to announce on the same day or something like that. But wouldn't it be like, wouldn't it be better if there were, if you, if you set a, a date on this where they had to sign by a certain day? Like if there was a, hey, there's a February 1st deadline, you have to sign. Yeah, yeah they should have a transfer window. Well, I, asked, yes. I asked you, I, I, I worked with you a couple times, and I know what your opinion is, and I asked Rick Kahn, I pulled him aside, asked him off, I didn't record it or anything, I asked him, I said, listen. Ooh, off record. Yes, off record. Did he well, know you were going to repeat what he was going to say? It wasn't off record, I just said, I don't right need here. this, I said, I don't need this recorded, I said, I said, actually I did record it, but it wasn't. 
his answer was kind of rambling a little bit. But he said he doesn't. I asked him about the NBA yeah. and how the NBA yes. has their set free agent signings periods and things like that. And I also said he's standing at the podium and he said, well, I can't talk about free agents. And I asked him, I said, why won't baseball let you guys talk about free agents? They can talk They're about free, free agents. agents. No, they can't. They can't talk about them specifically. Red Taria was mentioning him Red, a bunch of times. Red Taria answered a question about the way he plays. Not necessarily about money or acquiring him and things like but that. But free agents. I know, I know. I agree. And he said baseball doesn't want you to talk because if you come out and say we have no interest in this guy, it's going to lower their lower the interest apparently in that player, their value player. Yeah, yeah. you know and what baseball like needs. And I told him, I said, do you ever see that changing? He goes, it might change. I understand the way the NBA does it and everything else. He said, but it doesn't matter to me, and he's, you guys have probably heard this. He said, if he hits a home run in July, it doesn't matter if he signed the first day free agency was open right. or if he signed in May. He right. goes, I don't care, and nobody else will either. No. So ultimately, it's – and I told him, and he said, I understand. Uh, for the fans, it's, it's not the best. Baseball needs to hire a PR firm. Or Figure at least out. another one, because they must have one, and they're not doing the job. Figure out how to uh, engage with their fans well, when baseball is not being played, because they do a terrible job at it. Yeah, that's, I, I, that's it. Set this offseason, and I get that baseball people, oh, it doesn't matter until we get to the games, all this stuff, but you want people to enjoy the conversation about your sport. And when people think it's a drag to have to figure out where much... Like, here's the thing, the difference. In the NBA... You know, and in the NFL, too, you know when the meetings are. You know where they're taking place. You're watching jets go from one place in the country to the next saying, is Paul George flying to Oklahoma State tonight right. at midnight? And there's all this Dude. speculation and fun involved. Baseball, we don't know. know. We know the White Sox met with Machado. What right. other details do How we about know? This? He was I, there all day. Jerry was involved. Right. That was about it. And then he you, went to Philly, and then he went to New York. And what has he done since then? Yeah. He's been, this? what, working out? Well, apparently somewhere. he was on FaceTime at, well, right. uh, you know, watching the, like, uh, where, the introductions at Sox Fest. Like, I knew more about where Jalen Hurts was, a quarterback transfer who can't accept any money from any schools, supposedly. Any more money. Any mean, more money. That um, he got from Alabama. Okay, prove it. <laughs> Saving uh, his couch. Yeah, prove it. Uh, anyway... Uh, I knew more about where he was taking meetings and where he was having dinner and what schools he was attending than I know. I know about baseball. Just set a date because here's the Machado and Harper are doing a disservice to everybody else because it's a trickle down. There's more as than a hundred free agents as out there waiting as, to sign. Exactly. Yeah. As soon as they sign, everybody else is going to sign because everybody else is waiting for them to set the market. So. Have a date. Have it be January 31st or whatever it is at, at midnight or February 1st at, at 10 a.m. Or make it make it in the middle of the day. Make it a thing so people can talk about it like the NFL does or like the NBA does. Have it be February 1st at 3 p.m. Done. It's solved. Okay. How is that a problem? I, I agree with you. I agree with you. And, uh, you know, it would be nice to see if this happened. If something happened, I'm, I'm tired of on a daily basis waiting. Did, did Manny sign? Did Harper sign? Where are they going to sign and go on from there? We do have a date. We have February 3rd. Not only is it the date for Tom Waddle's Super Bowl party, but it is the Super Bowl. And uh, because that, there are always prop bets that come up for the Super oh, yeah. Bowl. And to talk more about the prop bets and the game itself, uh, Chris Raybond from the Action Network, nice enough to join us here on ESPN 1000. Chris, how are you this morning? I am well. Good morning, gentlemen. Um, 
the the prop bets seem to have taken over a life of its own uh, in the Super Bowl. Uh, Obviously, a long time ago this has happened, but it seems like each and every year they get a little more outrageous. I've looked at a few that, you know, the color of the Gatorade that will be poured on the the winning coach and which Maroon 5 song will be played first and things like that. Uh, As we get into Super Bowl week, why don't you give us some of your favorites as we get started here with Super Bowl uh, 53? Sure. So one I've, I've had my eye on that I've talked about a, a couple of times on uh, ESPN Plus on I'll Take That Bet is there's one on uh, Will Andre 3000 join Big Boy on stage uh, at, at the uh, at the halftime show. And you got to wave 500, minus, minus 500 for no, but I'm pretty sure he's not going to be there. Um, number one, you know, there's an interview uh, in 2017 on GQ he talked about, you know, he's got social anxiety. That's why he's kind of been weighing low. And also, you just have the whole thing with the, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of the, the NFL and Trump and that whole situation. There's a kind of a lot of blowback for Big Boy and Travis Scott even accepting to do the show. So I'm pretty sure he's not going to be there. That's one of my favorite bets. See, Fred, this is why we have Chris Raybon on the I show because that. when he opens up with a prop bet about Outcast, Travis Scott to Abdallah and I, I, we are I all spend, in. I can spend the next 13 minutes on why. Andre 3000 will not be well, there. And, and I may let you guys go because me as the old guy in the room have no idea who you're yeah. talking about. Three stacks? Is it, is it, is it, you don't know three stacks? No, isn't, uh, isn't Travis Scott a, guy, a, a yes. movie producer? Didn't no. he do so? Oh, that's, no. that's, that's Ridley Scott. That's Ridley Scott. That's Ridley Scott. That's Ridley Okay. All right. So, uh, Chris, uh, one uh, that I always kind of look at and I think it is interesting that I think everyone tries to get in on and everyone has their own theories first touchdown in the game. Do you have any uh, favorites that you like looking at for first touchdown? For first touchdown, so the thing about that is I think you kind of just you look at it the same way you would look at um, a player to score a touchdown period, and then you kind of tilt it a little bit towards the running backs because earlier in the game you know, teams are more likely to have not uh, abandoned the run. So I think in this game you're going to be looking at uh, you're still going to be looking at a guy like Sony Michelle, even though I believe he is the favorite. Um, you know, that's a guy, you know, the Rams, their, their Achilles heel this year on defense has mostly been run defense. Now they've really stepped it up in the postseason. But, you know, Bill Belichick is going to be looking at that and, and finding the weaknesses there. So I think Sony Michelle would still be uh, my pick, especially since we have seen the Rams alternate between Todd Gurley and C.J. Anderson down by the goal line. Uh, a little bit more than I think the Patriots do, even though they have three backs. Um, you know, Michelle has been their guy near the goal line for, for most of the season. One of my favorite prop bets, uh, given everything that took place in the championship games uh, last weekend, is will a penalty negate a touchdown? I believe yes right now. I saw it is like plus 385 or something like that. What do you think of that one? You know, that's what, I think that's a fun one to bet on. I, I would guess that. Uh, the, so what happens on these prop bets and in general in, in betting, but especially during the Super Bowl, is that you, you tend to see the, the, the more fun answer or the yeses get a little bit inflated. So I would guess that um, they kind of juice the, the, the yes up to a little bit where it's probably a little it's probably you're probably still weighing something there like a little more than it, it would be likely. But so I would probably go no. I tend to go no on most of these prop bets. Like uh, Jonathan Bales, he actually wrote an article for Action Network, and you know some of his favorite prop bets are like. Uh, you know, no miss extra point, no safety, um, you know, no uh, things like that. So a lot of times you, you're better off betting the no because the public loves to bet yes. They love to bet, um, you know, on overs and things like that. So you usually get a little extra value kind of betting on the less fun thing, um, but it's a, little, it's a little more likely to happen. 
Who's the value right now to win the MVP? I assume the favor is probably Tom Brady, right? Absolutely. The favorite is Tom Brady. I think there's a little bit of value, uh, mostly on the Rams, period. Because, um, so, and, and I talked about this in an article I wrote uh, a, a day or two ago. You know, essentially, you know, can we stop pretending the Rams don't deserve to be here in the Super Bowl? Because, you know, when you looked at the line, the, the line opened, and it was, uh, you know, Rams by one. And, you know, our power ratings have it about the same. But uh, the Patriots are two-and-a-half-point favorites, and so the MVP odds kind of mirror that, where built in is a higher likelihood of the Patriots winning. So you can find value just on Jared Goff compared to Tom Brady. Goff is plus 200, uh, Brady is minus 110. But I think uh, a really interesting value is Aaron Donald at plus 1,800 or or plus 2,000, depending on the book, because if there is a defensive player to win, and that's happened 20% of the time over the last 20 years, I think it's a really good chance that it's Donald who had about you know thirty or more quarterback uh, you know pressures than, than like anybody else. So I think that Donald, if, if the Patriots are going to lose this game, Donald could be majorly disruptive and be be the reason why. So I love him as kind of the value player if you want to go off the board uh, and pick against the Brady. You also do a lot of fantasy work. Are there any prop bets based on yardage or receptions that uh, uh, players can get a value at right now? Oh, yeah, every week, you know, there, there, there's great props on. You can bet on receptions, yards, every fantasy stat. So that's something that, you know, if you do play fantasy, um, not just for the Super Bowl, but all year, really. Um, so right now, some of them that I really like are, uh, you know, Brandon Cook's under five-and-a-half receptions. I think if you look at what uh, the Patriots and, and Bill Belichick have done over these last uh, six to eight games of the season, including the postseason, they've really stepped it up uh, against uh, a team's top you know, receiver, a team's most explosive receiver. We saw that in, in the championship game where Tyreek Hill had only three targets and one catch. And even that one catch, it was a 42-yarder. But, um, you know, it was like right before the half. And it was a, it was a play that, you, you know, almost didn't happen. So I think you're going to see Belichick kind of single up Brandon Cooks and, and want to stop him after the big game that he had. And uh, you're going to see a lot of more, a lot of underneath stuff to the woods and stuff. So I, I really like Cooks under five and a half catches. When you look at a, at a value bet, we're talking with uh, Chris Raybon from the Action Network. And um, would Todd Gurley be a good one because he didn't play much in the previous game? C.J. Anderson seems to be getting a lot of, um, obviously, the ball. Uh, but Todd Gurley, a guy that had such a great season during the regular year, maybe a, maybe for his rushing yards and his rushing total? Oof, you know, it's, I, this is one um, I, I think we're going to do for, We're going to do an article on this because it's, it's highly fascinating. Um, but I actually lean the under on a lot of the Gurley's top still because, uh, I, listen, I, I think that there's a lot of kind of speculation. Is he hurt? Is he not? He's essentially splitting snaps with C.J. Anderson. Um, you know, he had five touches last week, but he did play 32 snaps. What's been happening is he hasn't been uh, touching the ball as much even when he is on the field. And I think that, if anything, I would bet the – if I'm looking to bet the overs, I would bet the overs on his receiving um, tops because the Patriots, because they they are as good as they are, don't give up as many rushing attempts as the average team. Um, so I think that because Anderson – I think Anderson will still be involved – it's tough to say, hey, girl, he's going to you know, get over 60. I believe his rushing prop is 68.5. He did get that against Dallas. Um, he got the long run. But I, I would be more inclined to bet uh, the over on his receiving prop. It's at about 3.5 receptions right now. I think 32.5 yards, depending where you go. Um, because the Patriots, Kyle Van Noy, and their linebackers, those are the guys that tend to give up catches. Those are the guys that uh, teams tend to look to exploit in the receiving game. 
Chris, when you take a look at maybe the over-under for the game, and I'm seeing 56.5 right now, do you have a theory on maybe pairing that bet with other bets that could correlate? Like whether or not you pair that with total touchdowns in the game or maybe the first quarter score over-under? Is there anything that you kind of look at and say, well, if I'm going to go under, I'm definitely going to go under on the first quarter, and I'm also going to go under with the touchdowns or the total of the game? Yeah, so that, that's a great question. I think with over-under, what I would look at for that is, um, is something like pass attempts, for example. Um, I think if you're going to see, uh, if, if you're going to see a closer game, you'll see teams be able to stick with the run a, bit, a little bit more. So, um, if you did want to bet maybe the over on some Todd Gurley rushing stuff or, or just rushing props in general, I think you'd want a little bit of a, a lower scoring game. I think if, if you wanted the, if you wanted to bet the over, then you'd start looking at pass attempts. You'd start looking at, uh, reception for a guy like James White, who I think will be involved yet again after um, we, we kind of saw Alvin Kamara get the get the 11 catches, uh, a lot on uh, Littleton and and the Rams linebacker. So I think those are the best, you know, those, those attempts that that you really are looking at when you're when you're betting an over under. So you and I uh, are at the Action Network along with Chad Millman, and he does a uh, podcast with Bob Scucci with Scooch. And Scooch is a bookmaker, and one of the uh, things you can do is get your prop bet put up on uh, an actual book. Is there something that you wish you could make, a prop bet you wish you could create and have in a book if you could make one? <laughs> that is a really good question. Um, I think it would probably probably be something, you know, Something, something with Bill Belichick, I think. Like, you know, will Bill Belichick smile before the before the uh, before the end of the game or something silly like that? Because I think, you know, we see Bill Belichick in the Super Bowl year after year. It's just so it's just so fascinating to me that you know he's he's just so serious and he's just he, his team at the end of the year they just end up here and you know you look at this guy in the sideline and he's just laser focused, no emotion. So it will probably be some type of Bill Belichick emotion prop. Absolutely. Chris, when we take a look at the game itself and uh, looking at just the line being at two and a half for the Patriots as the favorite right now, it opened as the Rams being the favorite. Mm-hmm. How do you look at how the money has come in since we've had this week in between till we get to the actual Super Bowl week and where the money's going and how you think this will shape up, shape up next uh, Sunday? Oh man, well, you know, this is this is kind of the, the story of the of the Super Bowl. It's that you know, no one really thinks the Rams uh, deserve to be here, and so. You know, they opened as, as a one-point favorite, uh, 80% of the bet, 84% of the money on the New England Patriots. So that shifted the line all the way from Rams favored by one to Patriots favored by two and a half. I believe, I believe it will get to three uh, at, at a lot of books. I think that when it does hit three, the, the thing is that uh, you're going to see a lot of sharp betters when it hits three uh, buy that back immediately. So that actually happened at a couple of books already where it did go to, uh, to to Rams plus three, and you started to see Sharp really buy back because, of course, that's the key number um, three. But I think it will end up at three as, you know, more uh, you know more recreational betters start to pile on. I also think that the over-under is here at a 56.5. It opened a little bit higher at 58.5. We're seeing 52% uh, of the bets and 63% of the money still on the under. I think that as we get closer to kickoff, that that over-under will start to tick back up again because – uh, the more recreational better, they tend to bet closer to the game time, but they also tend to uh, strongly favor the favorites and uh, and the over. So I, I, I actually like the under. I think this will be a tightly contested game. Um, I think both coaches will have great game plans to stop the other uh, offense. So uh, I'm waiting until closer to kickoff, and, and I'm going to try to get on the uh, on the under after it goes up a little bit. You guys all act like there's not a game today. I'm just saying. <laughs> 
There's an opportunity today. The over-under uh, in today's Pro Bowl, it opened at 60. It's down to 54 and a half. I know, the un- I know it hasn't hit. It's been close to 50 the last two years, the total, so the unders come in. Chris, uh, you playing this one today? Yeah, so you have right now, you have, uh, let's see, what do you have? 77% uh, of the bet uh, and 75% of the money still on the, the, the over here, but, you know, the, the, it has ticked down considerably. I think I would still go over because I, I understand why, you know, people are kind of going under here, but I think anytime you're dealing with a situation where, you know, guys aren't giving it their, their all and it's sloppy, we forget that that can, that can not just affect, you know, the, the the scoring, but it can affect the defense as well. So I, I'd probably still go over, but you know, it, 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 who's watching this? Like, who's watching <laughs> no, no, no. This is this is the set it and forget it. You yeah. just make the bet and hope you come back to it See later. If it comes in. Yeah. Uh, same question, different game though. Is there value on an MVP for the Pro Bowl that you're looking at? MVP, yeah. So uh, definitely, I think still. Uh, uh, hmm, you know, that's tough. I, I'm not. I'm not too keen on like exactly I would go with I would definitely want to go with a receiver or a quarterback because I think you know if you look at it's the same thing for DFS um the running backs tend to be rotated a lot more and they don't tend to make as big of of plays you know guys aren't really willing to uh kind of jam it up in there so I'd be looking at kind of like I'd be looking at any of the quarterbacks or receivers it's just kind of it's kind of a it's kind of almost uh uh, just kind of coin toss flip a Flip a little uh, wheel of fortune and pick a guy, but I, I would stay away from the running backs and look at guys in the passing game. You can find Chris Raybon on. Uh... I'll take that bet on ESPN Plus, also on the Action Network. Chris, we appreciate you jumping on. Thanks a lot for all the info. All right, guys, take care. And no on Andre 3K. Yeah. Yes. Well, you know, I, I thought he was going to say that the, that the favorite in the uh, MVP for the Pro Bowl would be Mitchie. Well, that, that's why I was asking. I, true. I, bet, I bet you uh, Try Hard Mitch will be out there slinging it, don't you think? No, he'll be throwing at something. He's, got, mean he's got something to prove. Doesn't mean he's going to hit it. it well, could be I, I, saw, I saw the contest the other night. He'll wow. Be, could be Tariq Cohen is the uh, Did, um, Let know, me ask MVP. you, uh, Abdallah, were your mentions clean on uh, the other night when uh, the accuracy sure no contest? One, and, uh, yeah. I didn't get anything. Did you see Mike Evans try and do his receiver part? I did and, not uh, see it. I missed the, the quarterback uh, that was throwing to him. Couldn't get it to him. I'm more concerned with his uh, with no rush, his judgment as a, a dodgeball player than than anything. You're well, just being a hater. Dude. You know, Akeem Hicks didn't do much better either. Hater-ated. Akeem Hicks like opened up like, come on, hit me. Akeem Hicks has one. Akeem Hicks has one job: get to the quarterback. That's it. No, Mitch, Mitch, has, Mitch and... has judgment calls to make. He's got he's got to assess risk all the time. He. Awful, awful dodgeball player. No, Come but on. seriously, Fred, did you did you see Mike Evans trying to no, go I through didn't. the course? I Mike didn't. Evans is like they had to throw it to the side. It's a side catch, so right. like you're throwing it to his left hand, and he has to stand uh, with his body sideways towards the quarterback. And Mitch kept throwing it as body. The, the The point of the catch was to catch it out with your hand yeah. extended. Oh man, it wasn't All good. Right. Huh? Well, Not great, Bob. Well, he's your guy. <laughs> He's my guy. I'm just uh, saying. I'm just uh, Abdallah. Did you get a lot of take that? So no, I didn't get any. Actually, okay. I didn't get any take. Right. Well, so we'll talk some uh, NBA. Michael Lee from the Athletic will be joining us. Our guy Nick Friedel joins us at around 11:05. And then Sarah Nick, Sarah Langs from uh, ESPN will join us. Talk Ooh. some baseball uh, around 11:35. We had lots to do. We are back. It's Black Abdallah Hubner right here on ESPN 1000. 
This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Chris Black, Adam Abdallah, Fred Hubner with you. Michael Lee from the Athletical Jonas, just a couple minutes. Nick Friedel, top of the hour. And then Sarah Lang, some baseball talk an hour from now. Still waiting. Manny Machado is not signed yet anywhere. And um, I know that uh, final day of Sox Fest, I had a chance to be there the other day. Had a good time. We'll Any play... interesting stories? Yeah. Anything actually, you can share actually, with Actually, later this half hour, we'll play some, uh, we'll play some stuff from... Um, well, actually, just an experience I had. It, Fred, uh, Fred on the street. Mm. It's just an experience that I had, and you, you, you may have heard it on the Waddles World the other day. I've always wanted, I've always enjoyed Waddles World. No, you haven't. <laughs> don't lie to the people. They know you don't like it. I didn't. I didn't hear it. What happened? What? What? What happened on Waddles World? Yeah, with Fred. We'll get to it later. It's called a tease. But I didn't. I don't know what you guys are talking yeah, about. Yeah, and it's and called I a tease. You're gonna oh, find I out said, what the rest of the audience well, I, does. How long do I have to wait? Like the rest of the audience after we talk to Michael Lee, right? Yeah. Okay. No, I had mentioned. I had just mentioned, interested to find out. I had mentioned once, and I guess it's not. It's you're something you're supposed to do. You're never supposed to mention that your least favorite segment was, is a Waddles World segment or something like. Or that. Or any segment. Oh, any segment. You, you went. You went against uh, the family once. I, it, I see what you did yeah, there. Yeah. So then Waddle and Waddle and Sylvie don't hesitate to bring it up. So when I'm working with Waddle, he always says your favorite segment's coming up. Waddles World <laughs> at three thirty. And it well, seems it's a great like segment. Why don't you like is, it? I funny, can understand how it can make someone comfortable. The funny Why? thing is, every time I get in the car to come down here, for, if I'm working an evening shift, sure, you catch it. Every single time. See, I, I get I, in the car, and they're playing the Waddles World Open. Yeah, I, I listen almost every day. I enjoy it. You yeah. get news, you get fun, you get a little Abdallah in there. I, you get sports right off the bat, and that's the best yeah, you thing about it. You get your uh, Florida, Ohio uh, thing, right? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, depends. Sometimes you you yeah. break and then you come back with Florida not all the or time. Ohio. every day. Not, not all every the time. Not if there's not not if there's not a story. Now it's yeah. organic. Now, all right. now you guys are playing shell game on me. Now you're moving in all around. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, gotta keep the audience on their toes, Chris. Yeah. yeah. We were we were on our toes last night. Oh. Or at least I wasn't. I was I was actually on my couch last night watching uh basketball because I knew I was working with you two guys. I knew we were gonna talk about this because we did a year ago, and I know I brought this up earlier. But a year ago today, we were sitting here on a Sunday morning talking about the Celtics and the Warriors, and we get to talk about that and the rest of the NBA now. Uh, Michael Lee from The Athletic, nice enough to join us. Michael, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Not too bad. Uh, anything that you saw that stood out to you, especially in this, uh, the Warriors went over the Celtics last night? Well, um, I think that we've seen the team in the East that probably is going to give them the most fit that they meet each other in the finals. Um, when you look around and, um, you know, you just see that the Celtics, you know, Kyrie Irving has always been a problem for them. They, back to the time with the Cavaliers, you saw what he did uh, in that 2016 finals. So he doesn't have any fear of this group. And, um, you know, as great as they've looked with DeMarcus Cousins um, defensively, this was the one time where he looked a little out of place. So, uh, I think that, you know, Toronto's beat, beaten them twice, Milwaukee's beaten them, but I think uh, no matter what the records may say, Boston is probably this team that's the one that the Warriors are most concerned with. Even though they might be the team they're most concerned with, they're fifth in the East right now at 30-19. and 19. <clears throat> They've struggled at certain points of this season. Can Boston even get to the finals and get out of the Eastern Conference? you got to beat them four times. And uh, so whoever's number one or number one seed, whoever they get in the first, second round or in the conference finals, uh, they're going to be a tough out. And by then you would hope that Gordon Hayward would be 
you know, closer to to what he needs to be. I think that's the one thing that's kind of held this whole group back is that, you know, you kind of ask Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to sort of take a step back to allow Gordon Hayward to fit. He just hasn't really been able to step up on a consistent basis. Uh, he only had two points yesterday, and I think he kind of was the – the guy that kept that second unit from really uh, taking it to the Warriors, if he can somehow find his rhythm and get it in the next couple of months, um, that could really help the Celtics. Um, it's just maybe a big, too big of a wish right now after missing all the last season. As we get closer to the trade deadline, is there something Boston can do to make them uh, better able to compete with the Warriors should they make the finals? I mean, short of trade for Anthony Davis, which they can't do because they have Kyrie Irving, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't see it. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think that, you know, I don't see a move out there that's actually going to, you know, push them. I just think that what their issue is is just trying to have guys just buy into roles and just settle into some consistency. I think we've seen them in stretches this year where they've looked dominant, and we know that how good they can be when they have it all clicking. But that is a challenge. Um, I don't think any necessarily is doing anything dramatic, um, you know, because they just have so much talent and depth, and I think that's one of their strengths. You know, last year, um, you know, they were able to make it to the conference finals without Kyrie and Gordon Hayward because they had so much depth. They had that same amount of depth. So if you make a move to sacrifice your depth, you basically eliminate what makes you a threat against the Warriors. Michael Lee from The Athletic joining us here on ESPN 1000. Fred Hubner, Chris Black, Adam Abdallah. Uh, the Victor Oladipo injury really uh, putting a crimp in what the Indiana Pacers can do. Right now they're third in the East. Do you expect them to do something at the trade deadline? Uh, I would think so um, because with him being out for the rest of the season and they have a bunch of veterans who really put a lot of time into making sure the season is a success, I would think they try to make a move. But if not... Um, you already know that uh, your best player is out. So if this season doesn't turn out the way you thought it would maybe two weeks ago, um, I don't think it would be that disappointing. Your primary concern right now as a franchise is making sure that Victor Oladipo is able to come back from this injury, which is a pretty serious injury, a tough injury to come back from, uh, the patella uh, tendon tear. Um, sorry about the noise of my son in the background. But, <laughs> okay. but if you if you uh, if you have uh, that kind of injury to come back from that, um, that's got to be the number one priority. Um, even more than I think they're pretty much guaranteed a playoff spot because the East, you know, once you get past the top five teams, it's pretty garbage. Um, so they're going to get in no matter what. And I think the expectations have come down tremendously now that pictures out. But I can see them making a move, but nothing major, just something subtle. How do you put into perspective what James Harden is doing this season? Wow. Uh, okay. What Kobe did in 2006, um, he's doing everything better, except he hasn't had an 81-point game. So you think about just scoring, assist-wise, um, you know, just point production. We've never seen a show like this probably since Wilt. So uh, does that help? Yeah, it does. And I think the one thing uh, a lot of people like to do is, I know Kobe got a little of it when he was doing that in 06 and 07, because uh, he, he didn't win the MVP those years, and he should have been the MVP. But James Harden, there's some backlash that it's all ISO, it's all unassisted, uh, all the Rockets do is stand and watch him play uh, out away from the hoop, and it's not fun to watch. So I, I think there are some people that look at it and say, ah, and they try and discredit it, but it's been pretty amazing 
Absolutely. And I think if you try to discredit it, I just think you're the cops, man. You're just not really into this. <laughs> <laughs> like you, you just got to appreciate um, what he's doing because he has to do it. You know, he has to carry that load. He has to score all these points. He has to take these shots because they don't have anyone else on their team that's capable of doing it. Um, Chris Paul's injured. Clint Capella's out now. He didn't, obviously he was there when the streak started. But if James isn't doing this, Houston isn't even in the playoff picture. And that's sort of the way people need to start stepping back and, and viewing this because what Harden is doing is special. And he's been on this kind of special wave for at least four or five seasons. It's just that now that he's probably on the worst team, just talent-wise in terms of just injuries and everything else, he's on the worst team that he's been on in a while. So he has to do even more, and he's been doing a lot leading up to this. So um, I think that everybody's just kind of nitpicking. But what they need to do is just sort of look at what he's doing. You can say, oh, well, he draws too many fouls. He just gets to the free throw line. Do you know how hard it is to get to the free throw line 20 times a game? If it was that easy, everybody would be doing it. Don't you think whenever you see guys get up yelling at the referees or they didn't get a call, they try to get a call. James gets that call all the time. And um, so that that's something that's very hard to do. So um, that step-back three-pointer, that is a very difficult shot to take. Every time I see him pull it off, I'm like, wow, that is an amazing shot. Because it's, a three-point shot is already difficult within itself because you're so far from the rim. But if you're taking a step back, that means you're putting in a lot of work just to get some space to separate from your defender. So I just think that, you know, everybody's got it all wrong, you know, when it comes to just kind of nitpicking James Harden. Um, I just think that if he had more help, he wouldn't be having carried a team like this. I think that everybody also looks at it in the context of the Warriors and whether or not it's sustainable should they match up with the Warriors in the playoffs. Because I know he's doing everything and he's doing everything amazingly right now, but how sustainable is it? Because half the time he just looks exhausted. He looks like he just needs a nap. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he gets one when he's not. Uh, he's unfortunately he doesn't practice a lot, so he, he gets his chances. Um, of course it's not sustainable. We know that the Warriors are the best team in the NBA. We know that uh, typically when he gets to the playoffs, he, he flames out because teams make adjustments. Teams are able to focus on him in a much uh, different manner. Uh, and I think that's sort of the challenge um, for him is to try to figure out how to keep this going when it counts. But it's going to be tough. Uh, last year he had Chris Paul around, and then Chris Paul was gone for game six and seven. They lost. But if Chris Paul's there, maybe they get over that hump and we'll view him differently. I think the one thing that, that people um, – get too caught up in is like not being appreciated now you know we get so we want to look to the future and judge everything based on what we see um, and what we think we're going to see in the future but I think what he's doing right now we should just sort of sit back and appreciate it because this is a show like we may never see again we may never see a guy average 40 points for an entire month like this you know 43 points for an entire month like this and have 60-point games and have 50-point triple-doubles and things that we've sort of taken for granted. This is not easy what he's doing right now. Yeah, you know, It's not easy what you're doing yeah, right, right now. <laughs> Your son's not a Harden fan, we can tell. <laughs> nah, everything's cool. Michael, I, I've got one more for you before we let you go. We appreciate you uh, spending some time with us. I think what's uh, interesting to point out with what Harden's doing in the Rockets is the fact that everyone in the league wants to mortgage their future to try and make a run at Anthony Davis. Yet, even though he hasn't missed a whole lot of time this season, 
The Pelicans are 22 and 28, sitting way outside of the eighth spot in the Western Conference. So, like, Anthony Davis is averaging 29 points per game. He's got the rebounds. He's playing great basketball. Yet the Pelicans are way out of it at this moment. And Harden, what he's doing, they have the Rockets sitting fifth in the West. Exactly. He doesn't have nearly the help. I mean, if he has Julius Randle and uh, some of the guys that are playing with the Pelicans, I mean, maybe he's playing a little bit. Maybe the record's a little bit better. Um, you know, but it's it's just it's different situations, it's different schemes. Um, it's also just guys kind of understanding and recognizing their roles with Houston. I think that's one of the things that made that made that group unique is that they know exactly what they have to do, what they ask to do, and they kind of buy into that. Um, that's kind of the number one thing that helps teams win. You can see with the Boston Celtics, their main issue this year is that everybody isn't buying in. Uh, with Houston, they don't have that problem because everybody knows. Get out, the, get James the ball, and get out the way. Michael Lee, we appreciate you jumping on for a few minutes. Uh, take care of your son. We uh, will definitely talk <laughs> again soon. Okay. <laughs> All right, cool. Thank you. Thanks. Michael Lee from The Athletic, nice enough to join us. The only other thing I was going to get into, and I can ask you two guys because you guys are NBA experts. You're, you're my NBA experts because this, this, this is where I go. You can just stop at experts. Between you, we'll, we'll take okay, experts. Between you two and Hood, you guys you can fill me in. Uh, how much of uh, LeBron James being out is his injury, and how much of LeBron James being out is just that LeBron James doesn't want to play right now? No, he wants to play. The injury is worse than what the Lakers were uh, sending out to everyone. The Lakers should have said when he got hurt originally uh-huh. that it may be a month. Okay. The, the problem is the Lakers said day to day. Right. That's that's a misstep because there was no way he was going to play that week, the next week, and it's taken this long to get back because it's a serious injury. And I know it's fun to say day to day because LeBron doesn't get hurt. We've finally seen it. Right. LeBron has finally gotten hurt. Yeah. And listen, it's not going to be good if they don't make the playoffs. I think a lot of people thought that he could get that team at least to the th- third seed and that the Lakers would be a lot to handle in the playoffs. But if they don't make the playoffs, that's going to be a problem. And we've already seen with Luke Walton, there's conflict there between LeBron James and Luke Walton behind the scenes with Magic Johnson and Palenka and everything happening there. They need to go out this summer and get free agents. They might trade their young pieces. There's a lot in play there. And sitting ninth right now in the Western Conference, they need LeBron to come back. Okay, you talk about conflict. We will discuss conflict when we come back. There was conflict at at, at Sox Fest the you, other day. You got into it? Was well, it? There was, there was conflict on, at Sox Fest. The White Sox get you a media pass, and you show up, and you you have conflict they right got on Rand, the street. They, they got Randy go. Merkin a media that's, pass. That's, that's right, right on got, the street. They got Randy Merkin a media pass with my picture on it. So there was some conflict the other day. We'll discuss that and much more. Uh, we also got Nick Friedel coming up top of the hour. Sarah Lang's talking some baseball from ESPN around 1135 right here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Chris Black, Adam Abdallah, Fred Hubner. We've got uh, Nick Friedel coming up just past the top of the hour. He is, in case you uh, missed it, now, he still works for uh, ESPN. He just covers a much better team, the Golden State Warriors. And uh, he was in Boston last night. And uh, so we will talk with him about that game. Now, I mentioned conflict. And anybody that's listened to me over the last uh, year or two uh, may have known that uh, the White Sox broadcast isn't necessarily my favorite broadcast. And why, um, why is that, Fred? Uh, I don't like Sox math. And, uh, so you, I don't, don't like, you don't like the gimmicks. You like baseball no. conversation, yeah. breaking down stats, plays, and what's going on on the field. Yeah. Not the uh, shenanigans 
behind with the prize table. Yeah, the prize table and all the same winner uh, almost all the time. Oh, you know, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Quite oh, a, are you quite, saying quite there's uh, something going on there? No, no, no. Uh, I'm just saying that. that oh, are we, is this breaking news? The same I can't use I can't use the word, but all radio stations they have what they call a contest blanks and uh you know socks socks math has the same thing so it's Guys the same just guy. sit there and wait huh. and then and they try to get in right away i and did it's, not it's know that a lot of times yeah huh. so right. um so but you may have heard about this there was a little bit of a conflict at uh at socks fest and just a mini conflict that was i was talking to a radio uh radio friend of mine dave kerner the other day talking okay. soccer sure with, about uh qpr queens park rangers and uh and then uh something happened so uh you may have heard it on okay. waddle's world here's here's how it played out do you want to know the Fred yeah. Huebner thing? Yeah. So Fred, I guess that. And, and yeah. look, and I, I, I've been telling Fred for a while to stop saying this stuff on the air. That first of all, that he's wrong about Benetti, and his his oh. he hates socks math. <laughs> he hates. He doesn't like that they want to talk other than the game. I mean, God forbid a baseball announcer doing play by play for 162 games in the middle of a 65 win season during a three-hour game, should veer off topic. So Hubner's Just been, don't be predictable. Hubner's been ranting about Benetti. Freddie just tweeted, ran into Jason Benetti at Sox Fest. He has heard all my criticisms of him <laughs> and the broadcast. He told me he's always liked my work and made me feel like a D.I. blank blank. Richard. Probably not far off. Class guy, we're looking to do lunch. <laughs> Go White Sox at ESPN 1000. Okay, Made him feel fast like dirt. Forward, fast forward five months. Freddie's had lunch, still ripping Jason on the oh, air. Oh, yeah, Sox math. Fred's just not uh, lucky. He's lucky he's not a fan of one of those teams that's transitioning to the talk show format of broadcasting oh games, which a lot of teams are going to, where they're just going to show the game and the announcers are going to have like a, a talk show around it because you can see what's going on. Right. You don't need to someone to say, swing and a miss. Hey, you tell Freddie on Sunday. You're working with Freddie on Sunday, I right? Am. You know what else is annoying when you send someone a text? Wow. Uh, uh, extending an invitation uh, to a gathering that you'd love for him and his his lovely wife to attend, and you get zero response from it. Well, maybe like maybe he changed his phone number. He didn't probably. Oh, he didn't. Are you kidding me? He just blocked Waddle. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you Fred, you going to change his Let phone me text number? Text Fred and see if I get a response. Say great, great tweet, and see if he responds. <laughs> Truth be told, I, you I don't, can't text on a rotary phone. I don't. Freddie can. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and Meller was in the background saying, "I don't like socks math either." And yeah. Miller's well, a, I, I, don't e- I don't and, either. And, uh, I, by the, the way, Sylvie started off giving the White Sox three more wins than they actually had. They were 62 <laughs> and 100. Uh, they had 100 losses. He gave them 65. So I thank him for those extra three wins. Uh, okay, so <laughs> you, you and Benetti uh, have a conversation at Sox Fest. Uh, why are you looking to do lunch, though? That, that was a part of the tweet. Yeah, We're yeah, looking yeah. to do lunch. You, so you guys are besties now? No, you know, we can sit down and discuss it a little bit more. Yeah, oh, wait, oh, wait, but here's my question. You don't think that, that Fred's ideal afternoon no. is sitting around and talking socks over some corned beef? No, that uh, that is fair. But I, I guess my point is, what else is there to be said? Oh, if he came up go. to you and he told you, oh, I heard the criticism, but uh, this, that, and the other, and you said, okay, well, this is why I said this. Here's Sox Math, not a fan, this, that, and the other. 
What else is there? Well, there's uh, there's there's more like, for are, me. Are you gonna there's like much map more out me. an outline? Like this is how you guys should structure the broadcast. Like <laughs> you never know. You know, there's always ways to get better. Do, do you want to improve the prize table? Like, wait, what, what, <laughs> are you gonna change socks math? I would or? love to improve the prize table. I, actually, I would love to improve the prize table. I just think it's interesting that. So, are you are, when you head to this lunch? Are you gonna have a list of ideas for them? I, I would basically just you know I would I mean, love to, I would love Daddy, to sit and talk. But now with, you're just trying to enter entertain the masses for three and a half, five hours sometimes. And he was baseball. very good. He was very good with Rick Hahn and Ricky Renteria the other day. And you know what? Humor at that point works See, when Fred, you're talking to a general manager and the manager and everything's going on and things like that. But I don't think you should flip. I think you should. Oh, I don't know necessarily that I'm flipping. Everybody uh, gets everybody gets a clean slate. Benetti and Tim Anderson get a free slate. <laughs> You know, clean slate once the season starts. So game and one when they do yeah, socks and so math, first socks math. And, yeah. and maybe maybe my criticism is misguided. Maybe it should just be at the broad because basically socks math is sponsored. Another way for them to get a sponsor in. <laughs> Lord knows there's broadcast entities that do things just because they're sponsored. Yeah. Now here's the thing. The Affleck question of the day or whatever it is. Socks math is baseball related. Yes, it is. You don't like the non baseball conversation. I don't. You know what's really difficult to do? You don't like the prize is to get table. into your head and figure out what you like and dislike. No, what's really difficult to do is to be is to try to be funny when you're not. Well, yes. wow. So there you I, go. I even more shots, shots fired. fired. Even <laughs> more shots fired. Duck and cover, Benetti. And Benetti. Jason's not on the show. Jason doesn't do the games by himself. Is lunch going to be? Whoa! Stoney <laughs> takes a shot across the board. Lunch at uh, Second City is. Uh, are you guys going to take some are improv you classes sign together? Steve, are you going to sign Steve Stone up for uh, improv classes? Is that what you're saying? I'm, I'm not saying any of that. Oh man! I'm not not saying any just of that. Just Just tell him. Remember, yes and. Here, open mic night, mic night uh, Benetti, Stone, and Hubner on the stage. Do you want Stone to come out with and be like, what's the deal with baseball peanuts? What's the deal with expensive beer? Hey, Fred, you know the thing about people who are trying to be funny who aren't funny at all? Yeah. Example. There we, there we go. It's Abdallah. Ah, take that, Abdallah. It's Abdallah Black and Hubner. We got Nick Friedel, who always thinks he's funny, and he laughs at his own jokes. <laughs> he's coming up next right here on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. I'm easy like Sunday morning. Oh, it's a Sunday morning. The sun is shining. It feels like it's a, well, it's a zero degree day. I got in my car today and it said, um, Minus, You're not allowed. No, minus stop. two. You are not allowed to complain about no, the weather I'm not, I'm not here on ESPN 1000, ESPN Chicago, and the ESPN app. It's got nothing to do with socks math. I'm not complaining about it. What is negative 55 plus? Well, I do know that I'm not going Ozzie outside. Ian's number. You, you would. We're gonna. We're gonna hear before we get to Nick. We're gonna hear from Jackie McMullen talking about Luke Walton and all that stuff. But. You guys, you'll get a kick out of this because, you know, just something to bring humor out to everybody because you try to be funny. No, you try to just tell a story. And here's what happened the other day. My wife had a procedure done the other day on Friday. And uh, I said, okay, well, you know, I, I got stuff to do. I got to get down to Sox Fest. So we made sure we scheduled the procedure for early in the morning. And we got that done. And she's not Because feeling- Sox Fest couldn't wait? 
Well, I couldn't get. The, I wouldn't be able to get down right, here. Continue for it. on. Continue I had to be on. here by two thirty, or I had to pick up. The, you got to schedule the procedure early. I got to get the sock. I had pass. to pick up the press. I had to pick up the press uh, pass that had Randy's name on it. Yes. So anyway, we scheduled the procedure <laughs> for early in the morning. Seven thirty. We're there early in the morning. We're coming back. I stop at a store to get her some hot food because I'm going to be gone the rest of the day, and mm-hmm. I, I want to make sure everything's okay. So I get her some hot. She goes, "Can we go through the drive-through with Dunkin' Donuts?" I said, "No problem. We we'll get you Dunkin' Donuts and all that stuff." And then I started asking her questions. She goes, "I'd like a bag." I go, do you want the bagel toasted? She goes, why? I go, because when we get there, you're going to have to, they're going to ask you all these questions. She goes, can't we just go and get a damn bagel at the drive thru? Because I was asking her all these questions. So I, just, yeah, right. I was aggravating her. Mm-hmm. So we get to the Dunkin' Donuts drive thru, and I roll my window down, and we place the order, and then I go to put my window back up, and it won't go up. Oh, no. <laughs> and it doesn't go up. So I go to work on it when we get back to my house, and now it goes into the door, and it won't go at all. So now. Okay, I'm not driving downtown in cold weather mm-hmm. Yeah, with no window, so I have to take the other car and then figure out how. So yesterday, after work, I had to go to the guys, and I went over to uh, Oak Brook Toyota, and uh, they, they fixed the whole thing. Fixed the whole thing in an hour. What? Can't you with a coat hanger jimmy it? No, so uh, what happened? Uh, you can't do it at all? What happens is it came off like the track, right? and it went all the way into the door. There must have been one time uh, I was leaving here. There must have been a small, like the smallest crack in my window. But it was also cold enough that where my windows were iced over, and I, um, they, like they had it because it had been snowing. So there was literally ice on my windows, and I shut my passenger door. It shattered. Shit, but stayed in place. Oh, it stayed there. So you didn't want to touch it. But then, as soon as I, as soon as I moved and hit a bump. The whole thing just came, and I had to drive up to the suburbs and it, on ninety four, freezing the whole way. Yeah. They had to, I had to leave it at the dealership and hope that nobody stole it overnight. Like it was bad. Yeah, it was bad. it's it's tough. It's tough. So you know, the, so I can complain about the weather. Little thing. That's the only. thing. And my wife said it's a shame that you have to drive in this. I said, well, I got a hat and gloves, and I'll be fine. Yeah, and it wasn't only a couple miles. You so. won't miss any kicks. No, didn't I? Didn't miss cold. anything. I got I got home in time to watch the the Warriors. Um, <laughs> Uh, Jackie McMullen, she's, she's been all over the place, covered the NBA for a long, long time. Uh, she was on the Hoop Collective podcast the other day. And since Chris mentioned uh, Luke Walton and, um, you know, the Lakers and everything else, right now the Lakers, you look at it, and they are in ninth place in the West. They are two, two games behind the uh, Clippers in uh, the Western Conference. Jackie McMullen was talking about Luke Walton and his job security with L.A. There's a lot of tension in that building. A lot of tension in that building, and I think it's, you know, people are wondering about um, Luke Walton, even though Jeannie came out, Jeannie Buss, very strongly and said, you know, I want Luke to be here, We, you know, I, I back him 100%, but then also made the point that has to be made, and that is that she hired Irvin Magic Johnson to make these decisions, and, you know, if Irvin feels differently, uh, she gave him the, the power to make those kind of decisions. It's clear to me and probably to you, Brian, that LeBron's camp would prefer a coaching change. They're not too subtle about that. Um, so uh, I don't think that's fair. I don't. I don't but think LeBron it's fair. publicly has, of course, LeBron publicly hasn't talked in a month. Well, no, LeBron no, not publicly. LeBron, but it's all the people around that's LeBron, right. there's plenty of them, and they've made it known. I don't think this is a shock, is it, for me saying, to say this? Uh, I don't think so. that's, that's a fair thing to say. That was Brian Windhorst, who uh, everybody knows Brian Windhorst has been following LeBron since, what, high school, right? Yeah, and um, it's noteworthy that Brian Windhorst understands how today's media works. He just going out and saying, yeah, that's why I've heard, 
then turns up into articles all over the place saying ESPN's Brian Windhorst is now saying that right. LeBron's people want Luke Wall now. And he didn't you can, even say that. But, all he had to say was that's fair to no, say. But do you understand <laughs> that there's truth there to what Jackie said because of the way Windhorse responded and yeah. he was hesitant yeah. and just straight up confirming it. He sounded it. uncomfortable. Be- right, because it's something that is real, yet it may not be something that is necessarily supposed to be out yet. Sure. That, but Jackie knew. But she knew, yeah. and she was trying to get him to confirm what she was saying that people in the league are hearing that Luke Walton is not who LeBron wants to be coaching this team. Well, and it's all part of the re- recruitment process, right? It's all part of the what is LeBron going to pitch to these free agents that are available. And it, it all, of a, all, all that really matters is that he's LeBron. That should all that matter in the pitch. But ultimately, you need to pitch these other things. If, if LeBron doesn't want Luke Walton as the coach, he's not going to be the coach. You know, a lot of people kind of point out, like, why he should go. I Has anyone said, like, why Luke Walton should stay? I don't know if ever since he's left Golden State, if there's really been anything to point to that says this is why the Lakers should keep him. I don't know if they should or they shouldn't. Right. But clearly, if LeBron James doesn't want him there, he's not going to be there long. No. Okay, again, has there ever been a bigger coach killer in the NBA? Probably not. And, like, here's the thing. LeBron James is a cyborg. He is the Terminator, right? Like, in his mind, he sees the outcome of every play before it happens. So you trying to tell him how to play basketball doesn't do anything because he already knows the answer. There's been no one in the history of the league that can compute What's taking place on the floor in real time like LeBron James? So that's why he is a coach killer because he knows that he knows the answer more than you do each and every time. You know, like Jordan may have been the better player, but Jordan didn't necessarily know each and every play how to do it the exact right way. But Magic Johnson... You know, was was pretty darn smart sure. when it comes he to absolutely basketball, was. and I don't know that he was a was I don't know if he was considered a coach killer. No, you know, well, we'll we'll talk more about that, and I'm sure we'll get an opinion from our next guy because he loves giving his opinion on numerous things. And it was nice reading some of his tweets last night. He was in Boston, got a chance to see the Warriors and the Celtics. Another good game. Our good buddy Nick Friedel joining us from ESPN. Nick, how are you today? Guys, it's always good to hear your voice. I'm I'm doing great. I am in Harvard as we speak because the Warriors are getting ready for a practice here. But uh, at Harvard, they put on a show. They put on a show last night. They what? At Harvard. Harvard. They're practicing at Harvard. Ooh. How about that? They let you in. Yeah. Jokes. You know, we go. We go back. We go back. I've, I've been here a few times. It's uh. It's a good spot. It makes you it makes you think you're uh, you're smarter than you actually are when you're at all. Listen, people. even I've been there too. I was on their campus, and you're right. It does. You do automatically either feel really uh, a little bit smarter, or, or the out of place. Dumb, or right, or the dumbest person <laughs> on the block. <laughs> all right, Nick. So uh, before we get to Golden State in uh, Boston last night, we we're talking about the Lakers situation with Luke Walton. If Luke Walton is fired this season or in the summer. Who do you think LeBron James and his camp want as the next head coach for the Lakers? Yeah, Chris, I, it's it's the topic that's bouncing all around Staples, it seems, right now. The name I've heard more than I ever thought I would, at least in this moment, was uh, Mark Jackson. Oh, and, you know, Mark Jackson is the offensive guru <laughs> that you want running a team and in 2019, 
uh, we'll see. But he's got a lot of respect uh, amongst the players. And, you know, he put in some nice principles in Golden State. Of course, we know what they've done with Steve Kerr and the roster since then. So uh, I don't know if he's the answer, but his name certainly popped up in the conversation over the last uh, couple months or so. Is is his name popping up just because LeBron knows he can basically coach the team and Mark Jackson is just going to be there as like the rah rah, <laughs> give a good soundbite guy? Um, so, no, you know that anybody who coaches a LeBron team has uh, got to uh, got to be on the same page with that guy. There's no way at this stage of his career that LeBron would play for a guy that he didn't believe in wholeheartedly long term. And that's what we're going to find out here. You know, does he believe in Luke Walton? Does Magic Johnson believe in Luke Walton? Uh, we're going to see, but there's no way the Lakers at this stage in trying to figure out who they're going to add or not add uh, this summer would bring in somebody that LeBron wasn't on board with. So, yeah, I, mean, I am sure that is part of any of these equations here. Last night, uh, obviously a pretty good game. Um, the uh, Warriors come away a winner. Your thoughts on how uh, Cousins is adjusting to playing with his team? Freddie, these guys love him. <laughs> like they were, they were movies before the season, into the season when they had a little success. Before uh, they, they, things got a little rocky with Katie and Draymond in November, how would Cousins fit in? And as Kerr has pointed out in the last few days, and, and his teammates have said all along, he gives them a weapon down low that they've never had. Uh, you know, I, I still don't think he's in the best shape. That's understandable given that he missed all that time coming off the Achilles injury. But he's going to get into a rhythm, and they're going to be uh, feeling even better with him out there on the floor. So. It's only a matter of time before Golden State starts playing at a higher level than we've seen. And uh, for Cousins, he just has to stay within himself and continue to rehab his image just as much as the game because he wants to get paid at the end of this season. He wants that big money uh, deal that eluded him over the summer because of the injury. So everything's clicking for them. The scary part is you watch them and realize they can play at an even higher level once Cousins feels better about where he's at within the system. So uh, if they stay healthy, nobody's touching this team. They are that much better than everybody else. I mean, it was a hell of a game last night. It was fun to see those two teams, the Celtics and the Warriors in the, the finals in June. But nobody is beating the Warriors four out of seven if they're healthy. Nick, with so many guys uh, playing at MVP levels, you have Giannis in the East, you have Harden in the West, even Anthony Davis doing great things this season. Do people not um, give Steph Curry enough respect for how great he is? And the fact that you're covering him now for your first full season, is there anything you take away from covering Steph Curry each and every day that maybe you didn't respect before when you were here in Chicago? Yeah, I mean, Chris, Steph is to the first point, absolutely. People don't understand just how great he is. But uh, to, the, to the secondary key with Steph, and it gets lost because, you know, he makes all these shots and he makes it look so easy. The reality is he puts in the work to make it look that easy. This guy is in the gym shooting all the time. He's in there working on his game, 
all these kids all across the country, all across the world, are trying to be the next Steph Curry because he looks the part. He looks like uh, so many little kids that are trying to shoot. He's not seven feet tall. He's not uh, lumbering down on the blocks. The reason he is that much better and his handle is that much better than anybody else is because he puts the time in to make that happen. Steph's work ethic is something I don't think casual fans even understands enough, but he is unbelievable. Kevin Durant, watching him on a daily basis, he is unbelievable. He puts in the same amount of time. He works on his craft uh, constantly. I'll tell you another guy, though, in the flow of this conversation, who uh, many fans don't understand just how great he is, and he gets lost in the shuffle because he's with Steph and KD and Draymond, etc., etc. Clay Thompson. I mean, Clay Thompson is an unbelievable player. But these are all the reasons why the Warriors are who they are, why these guys are all going to the Hall of Fame when it's said done, and why you know they're probably going to win this title in the next few months. And then they're going to, no matter where KD goes in the next year or two. I would think the Warriors still have another title or two uh, left in them because these guys are all in their prime and they all put in the work to be great. Uh, this team has won 10 in a row uh, as of yesterday. They're slowing down a lot. They're 10th in pace. What have you noticed is the biggest difference between the way they're playing now and how they played at the beginning of the season, besides, obviously, DeMarcus Cousins coming back the last few games? Yeah, I think the big key is they got healthy. I mean, Steph was dealing with that groin injury for about a month between November and early December. He's feeling good. And you had Draymond, who was dealing with the toe injury throughout really the first two months of the season. He's feeling good. But, Adam, the key for me is Golden State, frankly, I think they just got pissed off because they lost that game. I mean, they lost several games. Chris was at one of them when Dame Lillard hit a shot against Portland at Oracle. But, they lost that game to James Harden and the Rockets a few weeks ago. And he hit that unbelievable shot uh, right about at the buzzer. And it was like the Warriors went, okay, we're not messing around anymore. <laughs> we know how good we are. We know how good we still can be. We're going to get Cousins back, but we need to start playing better. And it just woke them up a little bit. And from that point on, offensively, they're at an incredible pace right now, but that's the whole thing that we were, we were hitting on with Cousins. Defensively, when they want to hit the switch, they still can. And there's a whole other level they're going to get to over the next few months. So it has really been something to watch them these last few weeks. And it's going to be even better than what we've seen uh, so far. Because they are, they are just now getting to that level where you go, okay, this is the team we all remember. Nick, one last thing. We know you got to go in just under a minute, but if um, what's the difference now that you've been out there and you've been following the Warriors? What's the difference in following and talking to on a daily basis Steve Kerr as opposed to Tom Thibodeau? <laughs> oh, Freddie. Oh, man. You can't, well, can't do it in a minute? <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, uh, Steve actually enjoys talking to the media most days. Uh, I, here, here, this would be how I would sum it up. Steve is the first coach that I've ever dealt with on a regular basis, on a daily basis, who sits after his media sessions and just talks to the media like like human beings. Steve <laughs> like wants no part of that. He does what he, he, he needed to do over time, and, and he was uh, 
accessible when you needed him to be, but it was rare when you just had a normal conversation with him uh, after after a scrub or after uh, you know uh, a couple minutes press conference. He just sits there. He just he just plays the part of a normal guy who understands and appreciates just how lucky he is to have all these Hall of Famers around him. But you know he's a hell of a coach, and I say on top of the media aspect, Steve is good at handling egos. He's good at getting guys in place, mentally ready to play every night. And it's not that Tom wasn't, because uh, Tom certainly had success, uh, especially in those first years with the Bulls. But Steve is on a whole different level at the the day-to-day dealings of what it takes to be the public face uh, of this kind of team. And that is something that I'm not used to having spent all those years around the Bulls and and it's refreshing because he understands his place in the game, he understands the Warriors' place in the game with his players and where they're at and and he knows how to uh, to deal with it all and it's it's been pretty cool to see firsthand. And Nick, we always love talking to you and uh, it's fun talking about a good team. We'll talk about the Bulls when you're <laughs> off the air. So, we'll talk to you later. Thanks a lot. Um, Hey, Freddie, I, I I was waiting for the Bulls question. You're talking <laughs> about this good team, and I'm going, oh my god! No, no, what no. Is happening? No, we're not oh. going to bring it. You're not going to bring it down today. Not after the game last night. You can enjoy the rest oh. of your day. We'll talk to you soon. No, you got it. See you guys. Nick Friedel, he's uh, strolling through Harvard. If anybody pull, stops him, he'll just say, "Hey, listen, I went to Syracuse. We're to Harvard in sports broadcasting Throw a schools." Book at him. Yeah. yeah. So um, we talked earlier in the show, and I wanted to make sure we got, got got back to it because Jay Billis was on the other day with the Carmen and Yurko show, or with Cap? Cap and Company. With Cap and Company, okay. And uh, they talked a lot, obviously, about the one player that everybody's talking about in college basketball, Ed Zion Williamson, and one of the reasons is because the Bulls are bad. Uh, right now, I think they're fourth bad. Um, fourth bad, yeah. Right now... Um Worst records in the league. They are fourth worst. Uh, right. 11 and 38. They've lost two in a row. The problem is Phoenix, who is third. The Knicks at second and Cleveland, who are first. Phoenix has lost seven games in a row. The Knicks have lost eight in a row. And Cleveland has lost six in a row. Uh, so right now, those three teams would be the three teams that would have the most lottery ball chances to win the lottery if... The season ended today. And just so you know, in case you're wondering what you could do on a cold Sunday afternoon, uh, Bulls and Cavs later on today uh, as Tank the fest. Bulls are looking for a, uh, another victory. It'd be interesting if at the end of the game they're tied and like, neither team tries to go to the basket. Hey, listen, Hard they shouldn't pass. be trying for a victory. They, they This should be a loss. The hardest of passes. Okay, so there, there's a bunch of Jay Billis cuts here. And uh, which one do you think is the best? Because there's a Bill, uh, Zion, not a lock. Zion is a franchise player, Zion's a superstar, or his comparison for Zion Williamson? Well, let's hear the comparison. Let's okay. hear uh, what type of player Jay Bills thinks Zion Williamson will be. Because if you're a Bulls fan, you're saying, well, hopefully they lose to the Cavs today, they lose a few more, they get the top pick because they have the best odds, and they draft that player. Well, if they draft Zion Williamson, is he really going to change the arc of your franchise. Will he really save all Bulls fans from what they're watching right now? Here, here's Jay Billis. I, I really think he, he's truly unique. That that I don't think there's ever been a basketball player quite like Zion Williamson that's ever played the game on any level. I really believe that. Wow. And and so if you like, I, you know, I, I remember Rodney Rogers very well. Actually, you know, when I he was after me, but I actually played against them a, a bit. And 
you know, look, he's he's big and left-handed, uh, like uh, like Zion Williamson, but but Zion's way more explosive and yeah. way more agile and nimble. Uh, and you know, I, I've heard the Charles Barkley comparison, and, and Charles wasn't as explosive as this. And people forget, like when Charles Barkley was in college, he averaged 14 points a game. Um, he, he didn't do this stuff. And it's not to say that he couldn't have uh, in a different circumstance, but it's not the same. Like, this guy's legit, and, uh, and he's totally different. So I think every time we're making a comparison, we're kind of reaching a little bit, or we're, we're having to combine three or four guys to get to Zion. <laughs> And the only thing he doesn't do is shoot it. He does everything else. Like right now, I, you know, I haven't looked at the numbers after the Virginia game, but going into the Virginia game, Zion had uh, th- over 30 steals and over 30 blocks. And the only other player in the country that had that was uh, Matisse Thibel of Washington, who's one of the five best defenders in the country. And so the guy plays at both ends of the floor as well. Um, so it, it's a... Uh, it, he's going to be great in the NBA. Uh, will he be LeBron? I don't know. I don't think he shoots it as well as LeBron did. And, and you know, even people like me quite said LeBron had to get better as a shooter, and he did. But he's not, he, you know, LeBron's different than anybody. I mean, that guy, I've never seen anybody like that. He's the best high school player I ever saw. Um, but, but Zion is, he's going to be, a, I think, a great pro. Um, it's just a question of, of are you in today's game? And I'm starting to evolve on this one. I, I was like, even last year, I was like, well, you know, I would, I would, even though I think it's a close call between Luka Doncic and, and DeAndre Ayton, I kind of went toward Ayton. And, and I'm not sure that I still think that's probably old school thinking, but the game's so different now that maybe you do go with a guy like RJ Barrett. Uh, who is more of, of a James Harden-type player. I don't think he needs the ball in his hands as much as Harden, but he gets to the basket like Harden does. He just doesn't shoot it like Harden yet. And, uh, and you know, even Harden didn't shoot it this well in college. So, uh, you know, I, I, maybe RJ's the, the pick. I, I don't know. I'd have to really dig in a lot deeper. But Zion's going to sell more tickets. I know that. I hand it to Billis for admitting that he liked Aiton over Doncic because yeah. he's basically admitting he was wrong. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, and it's something that if you listen to this station, uh, over the last two years, I pointed out that the reason there was a phenom called Luka Doncic that everyone was talking about Two years before he was even eligible for the NBA draft is because he's that special. Yeah. And it, it's it's different. I think the Doncic thing is different than Zion Williamson. Zion Williamson is going to bring the flash and the highlight reel. Um, I question just how he's going to fit. I'm not saying he won't be great. He right. could certainly be great. ESPN lists him at... 6-7, which is a generous 6-7 sure because is. most other draft websites have him listed at 6-6. Six, six. Uh-huh. So you're telling me he's 6-6, six, six, he can't shoot from three, shooting 27% from three this season. He is an athlete who out-athletes everyone on the college level. The problem with that is everyone in the NBA is a superior a- athlete, right? Yeah. And and for the most part, taller, longer, stronger. you know, yeah. stronger. And I know the body looks fantastic at 280, and, and what he's doing at Duke is great. But alley-oop slam dunks aren't going to be all you get at the NBA level. Now, right. he, he might be able to just be better than everyone else, and who knows? He's... He's about to turn 19 at some point over the summer. And, and when you look at the projection, maybe he grows just right, like Giannis grew. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden a growth spurt. Or 
he develops his game to another level where he can shoot from the outside. It's it's all fascinating to watch as we head towards the end of the NBA season into draft season. Yep. You yep. also don't want to be the team that misses on that next. Well, yeah, I'm not. Next I'm not. I'm not, well, I'm not well, that's the thing is when you're talking else, about like if you say if you if you want you know uh, whatever it is whoever if it's if, if RJ it's, Barrett yeah if it's Barrett Cam if, Reddish whatever but you don't want to be the guy that took Reddish and then Zion is still there and then Zion turns into well, hold on, hold on, something sure. great. Are you are you saying you don't want to be the guy that took Mitch and didn't take Mahomes? I, well, you said that, not me. I didn't say that. Did a, I say it's that? A, it's a hater-free Sunday, Fred. Did I say that? I, I would prefer Did to I not bring up Patrick I'm just Mahomes trying to today. eat some pancakes without some hater in it. Like that, and you're just bringing the hate. It's fine. I'm I get saying, it. I'm just saying. I mean, you could you could take uh, you could take Zion Williamson, and he could not make it. True. Or you could not take him, and he could be the best player since yeah. LeBron. Well, listen, mm-hmm. you never, it's it's it it is the ultimate crapshoot the draft in every yeah. sport. Sure, it is. really is, and that's why you have to project out how he'll grow, how he'll develop over the next couple of years. Because right. think about it, a lot of what we say about him is what we say about Jabari Parker, and he went second in the draft. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. how that how that turn out? Well, he ne- he never actually developed into that next level that took him into a top ten player in the league. We mm-hmm. just got to ask Ian Williamson about his defense. See what his answer is. Well, I mean, he, he and you heard Billis. He plays defense, and he's fantastic at blocks and steals and all that stuff. He's very active and high motor. It's all stuff that everyone likes in a draft prospect. Play just defense, he doesn't shoot from the outside. Playing defense in college when you're not getting paid is one thing because your coach can make you play defense. Once you got paid and you're in the NBA, playing defense against better players is a, another story. I just hope he's not Sean Kemp with handles. Because if the well, if, if Sean Kemp, he better make a lot of money. Well, right, but like that doesn't save the Bulls. Yeah, no. It if doesn't. you add a player like that to what they have, you're not. You're still going to be toiling away in the middle. Yeah, there's no doubt. It's Black Abdallah Hubner. We're going to talk some baseball. We come back. Sarah Langs from ESPN will join us right here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in, Chris Black, Adam Abdallah, Fred Hubner. Hey, I heard I heard a rumor that um, you guys are be working together this week. Is that true? Can I can I can I explain? Can I mention that, or is it did I just go through the fourth wall? I mean, you are, but uh, <laughs> now that you said it, you kind of have to. Yeah, uh, uh, Danny Zetterman. And well, I you don't have to explain switching. why. You can no, just say, I mean, we're, yeah. I'm saying we're switching. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a take it's a, that week. For it's a take that week. So we're expecting yeah, Kat to come in I mean, firing listen, with there's the... some schedule changes uh, That's for cool. this week. I mean, hey, listen. Meller, people... Jeff Meller will also be working uh, a little bit of, during the, when the sun's out. So I've got to work with you? Yeah, right. and, and Meller, yeah. Okay. I'll take Meller, but... See, it's, it's int- I think it's interesting to people because, because once, <laughs> once producers back in the day were, you know... Once producers were able to turn their microphones on, yeah. they become part of the show. So I think the people that listen to Cap and Company and Carmen and Yurko and Waddle and Sylvie, they like to know who it is they're listening to. Yeah, they'll be listening to us, uh, Chris and I, for uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Meller and Chris for uh, Thursday and Friday. Uh, yeah, some, you know, f- there's, you know, sometimes you got to switch sw- switch it up a little bit. No, it's it's not a bad idea at all. Sometimes I got to wake up at five in the morning. It's cool. Whatever. <laughs> you sound happy about it. Oh, we're, I can't we're glad wait. to have you. Can't wait to work with you all but week. You, will, you, you seem you, chipper. You will be getting home earlier than you usually I do. will be getting home a lot earlier, so that nap. Whew. Right. 
great. Ooh, that nap. <laughs> nap. Yeah. Let's go to lunch. We'll do lunch like Benetti and Fred. We'll, we'll go to some restaurant. We'll sit next to them. I don't need beef and baseball. I'm good. <laughs> beef and baseball. <laughs> I like that one. I think that should be the yeah. segment. We should get a segment, beef and baseball. You, you just, just try various corned beef around yeah. the yeah. city. Yeah. yeah. There's no beef here. We're going to talk some but, baseball with Sarah Langs from ESPN. Nice enough to join us. Sarah, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. No, oh, our pleasure. Uh, it's been an interesting week because I went back and looked at a lot of your stuff on Twitter, and uh, you have a lot of uh, Hall of Fame stuff. And uh, it, it was funny this week that a lot of people were all up in arms. Ooh, Mariano Rivera, the first 100% vote getter. Oh, it should have happened sooner. Well, but it, it happened to a guy that definitely, even if it didn't happen sooner, Mariano Rivera is a guy that definitely did deserve the 100% vote, didn't he? For sure. And I think that, you know, one really fun thing is this opens the door to more 100 percenters. I think it really puts some pressure on the voters to make sure that they're making decisions for the right reasons. And there are going to be a lot more guys who are going to expect to be 100 percent now. And I think that's the way it should be. It's unfortunate Willie Mays didn't get to be 100 percent when he obviously should have been. But, you know, let's correct it going forward. Sarah, the big story in baseball this offseason is that there has been no story in baseball. And the fact that these big-name free agents, May Machado and Bryce Harper, have not signed anywhere. How unique is that to uh, baseball overall in the history that no one is signing to this point, this late in free agency? Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. Obviously, we started seeing this kind of thing last year, and it's interesting to see that it's continuing. There's, like, more than 100 unsigned free agents right now, and we're not that far away from spring training. The first teams will be opening uh, camp for pitchers and catchers in, like, two and a half weeks at this point. Um, but before last year, we never had a player sign a $100 million contract anytime in February. Obviously, we're just three days away at this point. Um, and then we had three last year. We had uh, J.D. Martinez, Hugh Darvish, and uh, Eric Hosmer. And it looks like we're headed towards that again, if these guys are going to get what we anticipate. And I think they'll at least get in the $100 million range. Uh, that had never happened before. Obviously, there have been plenty of $100 million contracts, and now it's probably going to happen two years in a row. Which team do you think is best suited for Machado to for his services to go to? I know he's a great player, but which team would benefit the most from his uh, numbers? I, I think the White Sox are a really good option, and I think the Phillies are a really good option. Uh, both those teams have a pretty strong need at third base or shortstop, which leaves it open for him to do whichever position. I know that there were some rumors this week that maybe he's told certain teams he'd play wherever. Um, obviously, last year we heard that he asked to play shortstop, uh, but the Phillies and the White Sox seem to be the team's best positioned for him. It seemed like this week the uh, mystery team was finally unveiled. Apparently, according to the reports out of San Diego, the Padres are the team that have money. They did it with Eric Hosmer a year or so ago. Uh, can you see a situation where Manny Machado says, hey, you know, the White Sox and Phillies may be closer to winning, but uh, San Diego's not a bad place to play some baseball, and they're giving me a little bit more money. Can you see Manny making that choice? You know, I think I saw a report earlier in the offseason that he was basically telling people he would go to the highest bidder. So if that ends up being San Diego, I get it. I think that in certain ways the Padres are in a position pretty similar to the White Sox right now, uh, where they're probably not going to compete this year, but they really could compete in even two or three years. And so in a lot of ways, those are kind of similar choices. Obviously, we know all of the great prospects that the White Sox have coming down the pike, and, you know, we're waiting on Kopech to get healthy and all of that. And the Padres have some really exciting pitchers, and obviously Fernando Tatis Jr. So it's almost a numbers 
and dollars question at that point, it seems like. Uh, a name that's been rumored to be on the move and on the trade block uh, for the Los Angeles Dodgers is Jock Peterson. If he were to be traded to the Chicago White Sox, what type of player is Jock Peterson and what would the White Sox be getting out of him going forward? I, you know, I think he makes a lot of sense for the White Sox in a lot of ways. He'd been a center fielder for most of his career until last year, and then they ended up moving him to left field uh, to play Cody Bellinger in center, and he, he got better defensively. Uh, he had negative 12 defensive run saves in center field in 2017. Last year, he was plus four and left. So, you know, plus four isn't necessarily anything to write home about, but it's a lot better than negative 12, and I think that that shows that maybe that's a better position for him. Uh, and he's a pretty good offensive player. You know, the White Sox had a lot of offensive issues uh, in the outfield last year. Obviously, you guys are aware, but you know, they were close to the bottom in pretty much every offensive category from outfielders uh, in the majors. And Peterson hit 248. He had 25 home runs in 148 games. You'd probably like to see a little more than that, but he had an 843 OPS. There's certainly um, nothing to scoff at there, and I think that he could really beef up uh, that outfield, especially offensively. And then you can keep Adam Engel in center, where his defense is definitely uh, keeping him there, despite the fact that perhaps his offense might not be. As far as the Cubs are concerned, Javi Baez had a great year, but pretty much everybody else kind of regressed a little bit. Which player do you think on the Cubs is the most important for them to shore up that offense to, to, to uh, return to form next year? I think it's Chris Bryant. You know, he, he had a down year, but he was injured. Uh, and obviously a shoulder injury is really going to hurt a guy like that who who's, you know, uh, Everything is predicated on that power that he's got. And the funny thing with Bryant is that I think he was better in 2017 than when he won the MVP in 2016, but he didn't get quite the same notoriety. The team wasn't quite as good. He didn't have as many RBI because guys weren't on base, which, you know, shouldn't matter. He hit 10 fewer home runs, but he had a higher OPS, which tells you he was doing something right. And I would expect with him fully healthy that he'll return to that 2016-2017 form. And I think that that's something that their offense was lacking last year. I think that they were a little streaky, uh, and his being more solid would really help them out. Another couple minutes with Sarah Langs from ESPN talking some baseball. Uh, Sarah, are you as surprised as a lot of Cub fans that um, automatically Bryce Harper didn't just say, oh, I'm going to go to the Cubs, and the Cubs are going to say, oh, we'll make money for you, and you'll come here? Because it seems like over the last couple of years we always heard that, well, you know, when Bryce Harper becomes a free agent, he's going to come and join his best buddy, Chris Bryant, and he's going to play the outfield at Wrigley Field. And now we heard that the Cubs have no money. They don't want to spend money. They don't want to get into luxury tax. Did it surprise you at all that they decided not to spend money and that Harper, uh, as far as we know, unless something changes, will not end up on the north side of town? Yeah, I mean, from the narrative standpoint, it did a little bit because it is something that we've been hearing for a couple of years now, um, for sure, with the Vegas connection between those two guys and everything. But if you really look at the numbers and the money, it, it just makes so much sense. Teams are getting a lot smarter with the competitive balance tax and really not trying to go it, and the penalty is pretty big. Uh, and sure, the threshold is rising, but so are those penalties, and being a repeat offender and all of that just, just gets you in even more trouble financially. And, you know, that Darvish contract is really stringing them back a little bit, and Hayward and all of these contracts. And if you look at what the numbers are and where they would have been if they gave 150, 175, or $200 million to Bryce Harper, the, the team would really be hamstrung by all of that. 
that being said, I think it's interesting to think about that narrative and think about, you know, Mike Trout. Obviously, we've been hearing for three years that he's going to just be in Philly. He loves Philly. He was at the Super Bowl, all these things. And I wonder if that's going to prove similar where when he's a free agent, it's not going to be just so simple. It's not just I'm going to go with my friends or I'm going to go closer to home or whatever it may be. You know, when we look at Bryce Harper, do the numbers, uh, are, are they what he can do in the future? I know it's like kind of an obvious question, but like, is it worth for a team to spend that much money on one guy like Bryce Harper? Is he worth the type of contract that he's trying to get either 10 years or the 300 million, whatever the case may be? I'm really not sure he is. You know, I mean, we just saw the Dodgers this week, you know, sign uh, A.J. Pollock instead, and a lot of people thought that when they made the Puig trade and all of that, they were clearing money and space for Harper. Uh, Pollock is obviously a little more of a risk, but they were able to pay him a lot less. And Harper was really, really good in 2015, and he was really, really good in his rookie season. But outside of that, he's he's a good player. He's certainly better than someone who's going to hit 210 for you. But he's a little closer to replacement level average or just above it. Uh, he hit 330 in 2015 when he won the MVP, but since then he's hit 267. Uh, and he does this thing where he's always really good in April. So he always gets off to a hot start, and you're like, wow, this is Bryce Harper. He's, he is this superstar, and he tends to cool off uh, as the season goes on. And defense was a huge issue for him. He had minus 26 defensive run saves in the outfield last year, which was the second fewest. Only Charlie Blackman was worse. So I would say that's a pretty big concern, too, especially when you're talking about signing a guy for seven, eight, nine years. That's something that is likely not going to get better with age and something to really be aware of. Sarah, we really appreciate jumping out for a few minutes, especially when you just talked about Harper, because I completely agree with you. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I've never quite understood. People keep saying, well, he's just about ready. He's he's only 26. I go, yeah, but his last three years, he's been, you know, war-wise. I looked, he's between Scooter, Jeanette, and Ben Zobris. You're going to give a guy like that that much money? It just doesn't seem to fit. And uh, I'm glad I'm getting some some more people to agree with me, especially people that are smart like you and know all the stats. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I think, you know, that's really those war numbers are coming from the defense and the defense is a really big concern with him. So, you know, we'll see where he ends up. And I think he'll still get paid a lot of money here. But the comparison, he gets compared to Trout a lot. And I just don't think that's even fair because Trout is already a Hall of Famer. Yeah. And Bryce Harper's got a long way to go if he's going to be a Hall of Famer. I agree. Sarah, thanks a lot. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Sarah Langs from ESPN, some great stuff there. And uh, again, I, I, I was sitting here listening, and I heard Cap, and I heard Cap had a couple other people on, and they were all talking. Yeah, but he's he's a, you know he's twenty six. He's about mm-hmm. ready to take that next. What, what shows you he's going to take the next step? Twenty fifteen, he was great. Sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, not so much. Yeah, last and- year he was better. He had a better year last year, but still, especially in a sport where you need your entire lineup to produce, yeah. right? Like one guy having a monster season doesn't change it for you. No, and we've seen Bryce Harper struggle at times, mm-hmm. and and that I don't know if that's worth mortgage, mortgaging your entire future for. Yeah, it might not, well, that's probably why the Cubs are like we're not we're not spending this year. Well, yeah, and there's probably one guy in baseball that that's worth spending on, right? It's Mike Trout. Yeah, but even then, what what have the Angels won? I know, and she brought up the great point because people in Philly are just saying. We got money. He's yeah. going to come here sure. because when Mike Trout's not playing baseball in in out in, on the West Coast, he's sitting there watching the Eagles play. Yeah, or the, watching the. I think he's a Sixer fan yeah, too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's sitting courtside watching the Sixers play because he's from Jersey, and I've never been to Jersey and I've never been to Philly, but they're very close from what I understand. 
Yeah, yes. the, the, the map, map tells us yeah. that. Yeah. The map tells yeah. us. Geography yeah. has told us yeah. that they From are everything close. I've read in uh, history books, yes. You, it, this was an old line, and I know you guys are young. You heard the thing about Michael Jordan. He actually uh, had he took geography in college, and they asked him why. He said, I want to know where things are. Smart. I thought it was a great idea. That's a very good Especially idea. Especially when you yeah. make as much money as he did, and he was able to travel all those places. Now we just sit on Google Maps and look around. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of Paris? I don't know. Let me go look. Let's Let's look. look it's Maps. a lovely place. I love Paris. <laughs> <laughs> I may or may not ever go there. It's Black Abdallah Hubner here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Chris Black, Adam Abdallah, Fred Hubner. One week from today, we'll be giving you our Super Bowl picks. I know everybody will be waiting for those with bated breath. We can't wait till Black, Abdallah, and Hubner tell us who they like. Nobody cares. So I like the Patriots. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I, I'll, I won't suspect You won't people. wait that long? Yeah, I'm not going to wait. See, was, last week in our pick segment, I had the... Uh, the Chiefs and the Rams. I'm not so picking them against. Fitty, fitty. I'm not picking against the Patriots again. I was interested, very interested earlier when we had uh, Chris Raybon on, and he said that immediately the Rams became a one point favorite, mm-hmm. and then as soon as that happened, yeah, the Patriots became a two and a half point fi- favorite. Yeah, I mean, everybody the, jumped the, the other way. The Tom Brady, Bill Belichick factor, the non stats, the just factor of the fact that they have won. Many super. You guys over, okay over there? What's yeah, I dropped, dropped his pen. pen. Yeah, yeah, I had to get it for him. You guys are like, like you could have just. You, you didn't know. have to say anything. <laughs> you didn't have to say I'm anything. To, people need to know that you two were just both like almost playing footsie underneath the table, trying well, to get this. Pen. I was trying to pull it. You guys were like doing it both with the foot. It couldn't okay. reach. You didn't have to say anything. First of all, the pen was way far underneath well, the desk. I said yeah. couldn't the reach fact, it. The factor would be the fact. I, I repeated myself because I was so distracted on what was going on under the table over there. All right, here's what I'm going to say. If you look at the analytics... I got my pen. That's all that counts. The Rams are the better team throughout the season. But if you take outside factors, Belichick, Brady, they've won all the titles, all this stuff, experience, the Patriots are the team who outweigh the Rams. So Abdallah saying he's not going to bet against the Patriots again. That's you're, you're, It's a throwaway line. You're not actually looking at the stats trying to figure out who's going to win this game. You're just being that guy. I'm not betting against the uh, against Tom Brady and the Patriots again. That's I'm not fine. doing it. But if you look at there's a reason they were announced as the favorite. Because they are the better team. The okay. Rams, that is. That's cool. I'll take, I'll take the greatest quarterback of all time and the greatest coach of all Do time. Do you know what, okay. though? Ever since the Bears beat the Rams, I've watched the Rams, and the only thing that makes me think the Rams have a chance is C.J. Anderson, which is weird because the Bears showed you can slow down that Rams defense. Okay, I'm not impressed with Marcus Peters or with um, uh, Akib Talib, and I also think that the the Saints screwed up by not trying to get the ball to Michael Thomas more often. Mm-hmm. They they gave too much credit. They gave kind of like you know, years ago when Deion Sanders was uh, in the NFL, people would never throw his way. Yeah. They would never throw that way. The same with Darrell Rivas for a while there. They seem to do that with the Saints, and I think the Saints took themselves out of the game. I'm not impressed with Marcus Peters or with Akib Talib. Now call me. I, call me an idiot. I just, I just think they can both be beat, and we, I think they will be well, you, often well, by Chris, Tom you Brady. And I, you and I have talked about it before when we were breaking down games, and it's I go with the better quarter. Who's who's got the better quarterback? It's That's a Super fair. Bowl. Both teams are good. Sure, I don't it's trust Super Bowl. Jared Goff. I agree with you. Both teams are very good. So 
yeah, the Rams might have a slightly better defense than the uh, than the Patriots right now. But ultimately, I'm going to go with who's the better the better quarterback. We've seen this story before, though. Wade Phillips and that defense, can they get to Brady? Because if they do, then the Patriots are going to be in trouble. We've seen the Giants do this with front four who get to Brady, and the offense isn't the same. So we, that would negate Fred's concern for the corners who he doesn't like. I agree with all of this, but like that, if, that Patriots if offensive Indomitian line Sue has been plays playing like insanely has, well. If and Sue plays like he has the right, last couple of games, yeah. why can't Donald and Sue? wreck havoc in the backfield and get after Tom Brady. It's not like the Patriots have some excellent offensive line. They, they have a very good offensive line. Not we'll, better than the Rams, though. We will talk more about this next week. You, we you got me fired up with yeah, this. Yeah, not ready to now do let's this. Go. We, 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 we got to go to Mark. Mark was, nice, enough. Right. Let's Mark go, was Mark. nice enough to call. He wants to talk about Zion Williamson. Mark, what's up? Hey, guys. Uh, I don't think you're giving Zion Williamson enough credit for being a basketball player. He's not just a 6'7", 285, amazing, athletic guy. He's a great passer. He's got great hands. And when this point guard was out, Jones, I think his name is, a lot of times Duke was initiating their offense with a point forward, Zion Williamson, and he was able to get guys shots. He is a great, great basketball player, in addition to being absurdly athletic. And I don't think either you or Jay Billis gave him enough credit in the clip that you you guys talked about uh, a few minutes ago. Okay, Mark. Uh, that's fair, Mark. And uh, I, I think the one thing I would point out is uh, if you can't shoot in the league, I, I don't know how you're going to be a, a superstar. That's always the biggest thing. You got to you got to be able to shoot, and uh, you know we'll see, we'll see. I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to Zion Williamson playing out the rest of the season, unlike what Scottie Pippen suggested. And uh, <laughs> you know, I'd like to see him play and see what happens with Duke. Hey, thanks to Ryan McGuffey of NBC Sports Chicago, Chris Raybon, the Action Network, Michael Lee, the Athletic, uh, Nick Friedel from ESPN, and Sarah Langs from ESPN. We were loaded today. Yeah. Now, now we can all go out loaded. Loaded. I'm yeah. going to nap so hard. It's Abdallah Black Hubner. Thanks to Felix. All, right. all of his help here on ESPN 1000.